That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast. A production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. I got to be honest, there's part of me as I'm watching the San Francisco 49ers win the NFC Championship game. There's part of me that is a fan, of course. I grew up as a Niner fan. I grew up in the Bay Area. I suffered through a 2-14 and season in 1978 and 6-10 and in 79. And then came Joe Montana throwing to Earl Cooper, Ronnie Lott. The Niners were pretty good. But so there's part of me that's always going to be a fan. But I got to tell you, at halftime of the Niner Lion football game, a debacle by all standards in Detroit, and a joy in the Bay Area, um, you know, I was left thinking the Niners don't deserve to go to the Super Bowl. They hadn't played very well. Detroit was dominating the line of scrimmage. I thought it was going to take two or three turnovers in the second half for the 49ers to get back in the game. And they'd have to be really good on offense, too. And lo and behold, Dan Campbell did what some other coaches you may root for did this college football season. He went for it on fourth down. He's got his reasons. Of course, the brand of the Lions, the mentality of the head coach, Dan Campbell, the aggressive, I believe in my guys at all costs, Dan Campbell found out what all costs means in the NFC title game. I think it was a mistake, obviously in hindsight, to go for it on fourth down repeated times in field goal range. If he just kicks one of those field goals, he puts a lot of pressure, especially if he kicks a field goal to go up three scores in the second half on the Niners. He puts a lot of pressure on the 49ers that had just gone down and got a field goal themselves, and he didn't do it. He left the door open. And I was sitting in my living room watching the game, and I said out loud to my family and friends who were assembled, I said, that's like a turnover. This guy's giving the Niners a turnover. And I get it. Like, he doesn't have Justin Tucker as his kicker. But guess what? Neither does most of the rest of the NFL. You still have to be cognizant of the fact, if you're Dan Campbell, that going forward on fourth down in that situation is a perilous thing. And and I get it. Again, I get it. I'll go back. I think, you know, he knows who he is. He knows the brand of his team. He knows that he believes in his players. But I couldn't help but think, like, how opportunistic it was for the 49ers to be in a position to essentially make a comeback in like eight or nine minutes that should have taken them more than a half to get back. And Dan Campbell played a role in that. Now, I also think the Lions were a little early to their party. Like, I think there's a season for all things. And I look at the 49ers, I actually feel like the Niners are towards the end of their window. 
team, the roster, it's getting very expensive to keep the 49ers together. They've had to make some shrewd decisions in the last few years that I think have, have contributed to their defense not being quite as good. And, you know, but they're kind of, it's, it's kind of like now or never for San Francisco. And it's a little bit like, you know, the window for the Chiefs is going to be open as long as Patrick Mahomes is playing at a high level and he's still playing at a high level. He obviously proved he can go out and win a game. But, you know, I think the Lions got to the NFC title game a little before they were supposed to. And I think that's the silver lining for people in Detroit who are saying it's going to be twice as hard to get back there. Dan Campbell said it after the game. We know it's going to be twice as hard to get back here. I think in the end, you have to think of this as a team that maybe was a little before its time. Getting a reminder of what playoff experience really is worth. I think there's tremendous value. And the 49ers have had multiple players around that championship game for multiple years. You have players who have played in the Super Bowl on the 49ers team. You had three players on the Detroit Lions roster who had ever been to a championship game of the conference. Just was a little soon for a very young team to get there. And like Panay Sewell after the game, basically stone-faced saying that they're going to use that as motivation to get back next year was awesome. And I think Dan Campbell will get back there. But the question will be, like, will he coach the game differently once he gets back there? And I've listened to it all day. I've listened to national media break this game down, dissect it in a number of ways, question whether he should have just kicked the field goal on the final drive instead of trying to get a touchdown. And I am left thinking, like, the biggest shift of mentality that a young coach has to make and, I, and I'm going to say it out loud. We're watching it with Dan Lanning at Oregon. We're going to watch it with Trent Bray at Oregon State. The biggest evolution that a young coach has to make is learning to separate their own brand, their own identity, their own belief in their players with good strategy and sound decision-making during games. You have to have a good relationship with fourth down and short. If you're a head football coach, you have to know when, like, this is a good opportunity. This is a risk-reward type opportunity. This is a great time to send a message to my team and to my players early in the season, in week five, in week six, in week seven, when you're trying to build towards something bigger. And then you have to know when you get into, you know, that big game against Washington, if you're Dan Lanning, or against the 49ers, if you're Dan Campbell, You have to know that that fourth down situation, that fourth down calculus changes a little bit. That's a better team on the other side. The stakes are bigger. Maybe your team's a little tighter. And I'm not saying that passes get dropped or receivers fall down or, frankly, in the end, you know, when you do run your kicker out, I'm not saying he's going to make the kick or not make the kick, but I am saying you've got to figure out where that line is. And I think a lot of coaches struggle with it. I think Jonathan Smith was struggling with it at Oregon State. We watched it before our eyes. This last football season, he sent a kicker to run for it on fourth down and whatever against Arizona. It was it was just a terrible decision. And sometimes I think coaches who have such a strong belief in their players, who get to the point they're at and have the success they're at by selling that belief as part of the culture of the program, we're going to go for it. We're going to be gunslingers. I've got your back. I believe in you. Those coaches need to have somebody in their ear pumping the brakes a little bit who isn't afraid to go, hey, this is the NFC title game. Or, hey, this is a game against Washington 
This isn't, you know, the normal. This isn't Colorado. This isn't, you know, this isn't uh, one of the doormats of the Pac-12 conference here. This is a team that could potentially play in the playoff. Like, this is going to be a little different equation when we're going on fourth and short. It was a different equation against the 49ers on fourth down and short. And I think Dan Campbell blew it. But I also think, like, you know, I appreciate who he is. I, I think it'll be easier than he says to get back there because I think Detroit is young and talented and that run game is good. I think if they get, uh, you know, shore up a couple of positions and, you know, find themselves a kicker that they apparently believe in, uh, you know, it could be a very different story. Uh, I think the 49ers are very fortunate. I'm not going to say lucky. I don't think you I, you make your own luck. I don't think you're lucky in the NFL. I don't think teams are lucky to get to the Super Bowl. I think the Niners are very fortunate that Dan Campbell left the door open, and he left the door open against a team that is too good, too talented on the offensive side of the ball, and was too good to be left uh, out of the Super Bowl if you were going to give them what amounted to three turnovers in the second half. I want your phone calls. What did you make of it all? Who do you like in the Super Bowl? And has Taylor Swift called Usher yet to arrange that halftime show that we're talking about, that cameo that we were talking about last week? I want your phone calls, 503-417-7575. A um, whole bunch of, uh, whole bunch of uh, uh, things to unpack on today's show, but, you know, here is the craziest play of the NFC title game. Uh, Brandon Ayuk catching a pass from Brock Purdy with a volleyball assist from a Detroit Lion defensive back. Purdy sends Kittle in motion right. Purdy. Out of the shotgun, drops a couple of steps. Going to take a deep shot to Brandon Ayuk. It's the flag. Oh, he caught it. Caught. Ayuk caught it out of the air. A flag is also down. Did Ayuk score? He got touchdown on the two-yard line. Touchdown or on the two-yard line didn't matter. Ayuk talked about it afterwards, told Aaron Andrews about that crazy catch. Tell us all about that catch. Before the game, a ladybug landed on my shoe. Hey, y'all know what that means. So that's all I can say because I don't know. I don't know. Just great luck. God was with us today. Great win. Bang, bang, honor game. It's crazy. We better take that ladybug to the Super Bowl because you're going to be going there to see the Kansas City Chiefs. There it is. It'll be the Chiefs and the 49ers. Chiefs surprised me a little in the the morning. We had talked all week about Baltimore being the best team, the best defense. I got to be honest, as a Niner fan, I did not want to see the Niners play the Ravens. I thought that was a bad matchup for the Niners. Feel a little better about this Chiefs matchup, but ultimately, you know, the, it was a little bit of an NBA like mentality in this game. Like, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs had the best player. All all the talk about Lamar Jackson is the MVP. Great, he's a great player. Patrick Mahomes made all the plays. He made all the throws. He, you know, he took care of business against the Baltimore Ravens. It was as simple as that. And Kansas City's defense is better than advertised. It's going to be a great Super Bowl. I want your pick. I want your reaction. I want your thoughts. 503-417-7575 is the phone number. Who do you like, and did Dan Campbell get it wrong? Stephen, I think Campbell got it wrong. Ultimately, in hindsight, I can say that. But at the time, I'm telling you, I was I was uh, smiling in my living room when he went for it on fourth down. Yeah, you know what? The interesting part, John, was at the end of the first half, the Lions had a situation where they're at the two-yard line and Campbell sent out the offense and then called it back and sent the kicker out. And me and my wife were watching the game, and you could read Campbell's lips. He, he was on the, you know, was on his microphone or his headset, and he goes, F it. And then the offense went back out. And then he called timeout, pulled him out, and kicked a field goal. I thought in that spot he should have gone for it. Really put it down on the 49ers there. If they get a touchdown, you don't have, what, 21 points? 
going into halftime, but decided to play it safe in that situation. Then in the second half, when it really mattered, I thought he should have kicked the field goals because they needed the points because you could feel the momentum was building and building and building for the 49ers where you don't get that first down. All the momentum is now with the 49ers where you had a lot of momentum at the end of the first half. I don't think he lost the game because ultimately I think it was a good play call and Jared Goff made a good throw and uh, Craig Rounds dropped the football. I, I, I don't know how else we can blame Dan Campbell for a wide receiver dropping a, a pass that he should have caught. So I don't blame Dan Campbell for the loss. I do think that it was interesting the way that he called the plays, but that's what he that's what he does. And I said this going into the game. I said the Lions have a chance to win this game by a lot or win this game or lose this game by a lot because of the way Dan Campbell coaches. He's going to go for it on fourth down, and it could go either really good or really bad. And it went really bad in a situation where if he was just conservative, maybe the Lions win that game. But yeah, it was it was interesting call. I thought in the first half that he that he didn't go for the touchdown, and then the second half he overreacted. It seemed like and then started to go for the touchdown. Yeah, I was rooting for him to go for the touchdown at the end of the first half too because I thought the Niners were in real trouble. I mean, they were sitting there in a position. Um, obviously down 21-7 at the time, and here he was inside the red zone, and it was an opportunity to put him away, make it 28-7 at the half. And as a Niner fan, I was going, the only way the 49ers are getting back in this game is if Detroit leaves the door open a little bit. And he kicks the field goal there. It's fine. It's 24-7 at half. I was thinking, you know, could the Niners get the ball and get a score in their first possession? Yes, then they're in a two-score game. And But I, I still thought they needed two or three turnovers. And, and as much as we want to talk about Reynolds drops the ball, whatever, whatever, that's fine. You can unpack it that way. That's fine. I don't blame people who are, who are putting it logically together like that. But a coach's job, let's not forget what a head coach's job. Head coach's job is not to be a cheerleader for the team. It, his job is not to be there and, uh, and you say, you know, I want everybody to be happy. I'm going to spread the ball around, let everybody touch the ball. No. Coach's job is to put his team in the best position he possibly can to succeed and win the game. And I thought that's where Dan Campbell got away from it. Like, you have this conflicting agenda inside of him. And and it's part of it is just the culture of how the Lions got to the title game and the brand of the Lions and the messaging of Dan Campbell is all about, I believe in my guys. We're, you know, we're going to put a foot in the, in the, in the turf and we're going to, you know, we're not going to make any excuses and we're going to pile drive people. And that was very evident in the first half. But what became evident in the second half was almost I almost felt him reaching and going, uh-oh, here come the Niners. And when they got within one score, I turned to Anna and everybody who was watching the game with me, and I said, Lions are in trouble here. They are getting tight, and their coach is coaching like a guy who's not thinking rationally. Take the damn points, man. Kick the field goal. These coaches are getting themselves in hot water all over the place. Let's go to the phone lines. Mark is in Portland. I know Mark's going to disagree with me. Go ahead, Mark. Ah, uh, no, actually, I, I pretty much agree with you. I, I you know, you, you t- I know that's a rarity, huh? Um, I, I just think that, uh, the first half, I, I agree that, you know, maybe that was the time to, to roll the dice. Although I'm, I'm always big, John, on a 17 point lead because that's a three score lead. Certainly there's, it, my, my mind just simply can't compute how he could, not kick a field goal when he was up by 14. The 49ers got a field goal on their first drive of the second half. Detroit could have even that and took the momentum right back with a 17-point lead. Halfway through the third quarter, you got a three-score lead. You have to kick a field goal there. I just don't get it. And then he's down by 10 points. He needs two scores. How can you go for it? 
and and not you know not kick a field goal. Just it just it's baffling to me because you talked about Dan Lanning. He did that. He he rolled the dice in the first half. He never made decisions like Dan Campbell made in the second half of a game. If he got a shot at a 17-point lead halfway through the third quarter, you've got to take the three-score lead in a playoff game. And uh, as who, far who as do you the, like in the Super Bowl? Oh, my God. Well, I love the two teams that are in it because I keep those two teams in my fantasy, so I'm, I'm happy about the, <laughs> the, the San Francisco and Casey yeah. because I've already clinched that, but it's a tough game. I, I keep telling you guys that I just can't bet against Mahomes. It's just I just I just can't do it. I think San Francisco has the best team, um, but Kansas City has the best player, and so far I think he's beat two teams that are maybe better than Buffalo and, and uh, 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 Baltimore could have been better teams, especially at home. But they've got that X factor, and and right now I mean all these people that are upset with uh taylor swift uh i think uh travis kelsey is feeding off of that hey he's playing at an even higher level than he's than he's played at i mean he's yeah. probably the mvp of the last two games so it's going to be a great super bowl i would i would uh, key on the prop bets and stay away from who's going to win the game <laughs> i appreciate it mark in portland uh, i want your phone calls 503-417-7575 john i got a comment to make real quick are yeah. we assume we're assuming that the kicker makes the field goal but it's not a for sure thing especially in the second half it was like a 48 49 yard field goal he's 77 percent in his career between 40 and 49 yards like it's not a given that he guarantee makes that field goal if they go for the field goal and miss same thing momentum is in the 49ers favor the the lions drew up a play and got a wide receiver open goff made the throw and he dropped it like i think the lions would take that every day of the week if you can get a receiver open and get his hands on the ball rather than going for you know, i don't know a, man a you give me field goal in that spot you give me what a traditional fourth down and short conversion rate is in the NFL versus a 77% chance of a kicker making the kick, I'm going to take it because that traditional fourth and short percentage is not going to hold up on the road against a veteran defense that has played on that stage before while your team might be a little tight. And maybe Reynolds drops the ball because he dropped one earlier in the game and he's feeling a little bit of heat and a little pressure and haven't been on that stage and, oh, my gosh, oh, they're one score away. Like, you know, I just think there's something to it. And for Lions fans, like, Lions fans were acting like this was the most catastrophic thing in the history of the franchise and the window's closing. And I don't see it that way at all for the Detroit Lions. I think that offensive line is fantastic. The running backs are great. The, defensively, I think they can make some off-season improvements. They can get a little better and a little deeper on the defense. I think they need a game-breaking receiver that can just kill you to put together with that run game. I do think that's a team that's going to be you're going to have to account for next season and beyond. And I think Dan Campbell will figure that out. And the story, the narrative going forward is going to be, you know, what did he learn? What it, you know, how much, what kind of step forward they can take? And 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 I think the Lions will will be a team that and I just think they got there a little before they were supposed to get there and had they made it to the Super Bowl I would not have picked them against Patrick Mahomes but the Niners Chiefs feels like a coin flip to me let's go to Charlie who's in Vancouver Charlie welcome John you're all over it thank you um, hey I had, do have a question before I get to my take last week you had a stat about the referee refing the home games and they didn't cover or win. Tell me, was that the Baltimore game or the Frisco game? Um, I don't I don't remember saying that. It might not have been me. Oh my, 
Oh my gosh. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Anyway, one of the two referees. I'm not saying I did it. It might just be me <laughs> that I don't remember. But yes, okay, that's ahead. okay. It's just not big on your screen. Anyway, one of the referees, his the teams only covered the home favorites only covered like 19 percent of the times in the playoffs, and one like 46 percent of the times. And I thought it was the Baltimore game, and I thought there were a lot of questionable calls that really affected momentum in that game. But I also will never, ever, ever as Taylor Swift would say, bet against Pat Mahomes again. He was so good, so clutch. He did what Dan Campbell didn't in the second half. Even though he wasn't 15 for 17 and that kind of thing in the second half like he was in the first half, he didn't let momentum change sides. And what you're talking about not taking those points, that let momentum change sides, which causes the guy to maybe fumble, which causes the guy to maybe drop the kick. When, you, when you're not nervous because you got a three-score lead, all of a sudden those things don't happen, in my humble opinion. And Campbell really blew it by allowing momentum to change sides. They'd never really lost momentum. Frisco down, goes down and get a field goal. You get a field goal. Boom. We're still 17 up. Things are cool. But you felt everything tighten up as soon as they missed that field goal. And like you said, when they got within seven or three, the game was over. I mean, you knew. Frisco's rolling. This Games are such momentum. It was just over at that point. Yeah, look, I look back at Dan Campbell, and I'll look at Dan Lanning as well. And I think, you know, I was looking over at Dan Lanning versus Kalen DeBoer in the Pac-12 championship game. And you had Dan Lanning, who basically was coaching in his second season. You had Kalen DeBoer who had coached in like a hundred more football games than Dan Lanning. And there's just something you, you, would, you would hope you learn in coaching that many more games. I'm not saying Kyle Shanahan outcoached Dan Campbell in the NFC title game. But I do think it is interesting that, you know, we got a third-year head coach with the, with the Detroit Lions. He had one prior stint in Miami where he went 5-7, and seven and then, you know, but that was in 2015. So a relatively inexperienced coach who had never coached a playoff game before this year against Kyle Shanahan, who had made all kinds of mistakes. I watched Kyle Shanahan go conservative and make mistakes in the Super Bowl, the same kind of stuff that we're railing on Dan Campbell for being too aggressive with. You know, Kyle Shanahan's guilty of being not aggressive enough. And I would just hope that over time, like you and I, in whatever discipline that you work in or whatever you do on your daily basis, you know, that you get better at the things that you're doing. I'm a better parent with daughter number three than I was with daughter number one. And it's because I realized, oh, I made, I did this wrong, I'd do it differently. I did this wrong, I'd do it differently. The hope would be that the Detroit Lions get back to that stage and that Dan Campbell gets in a similar situation and he can still be aggressive and still channel the culture that he wants to channel and the brand that he wants to channel. You know, I believe in you, I got your back but we're going to lay up and kick a field goal here like he did right right before the half. He did the right thing probably by the book before the half. But I got to tell you, when the opposition needs turnovers, going for it on fourth and three, creating a turnover opportunity is probably not what you want to do. You're giving the defense about a 40 or 50 or 60% chance of getting a turnover there. Casey's in Beaverton. Casey, go ahead. First off, I want to say I am a diehard Niner fan. My dad grew up in San Francisco and used to watch the games at Kizar Stadium, which tells you how long ago that was. Um, but I wanted to talk about Baltimore uh, and Kansas City first. And all week I listened to everyone saying Baltimore is the best, and of course they were playing super well. They got the purported MVP. But 
everyone was discounting what we've all witnessed, especially those of us who are 49er fans and watched Mahomes work his magic on that Super Bowl a couple of years ago, where by all rights, Kansas City should have been done and never should have won. Uh, and so I wasn't surprised at all when Mahomes did it again, Mahomes and company. And I am like you, I actually wanted the Niners to face the Ravens because I don't think that outcome could happen twice uh, like we saw in the regular season. And I'm terrified of Mahomes uh, because I don't, he's like Montana at his best. When Montana won the Super Bowl, he had all no names. If we recall, he had a converted tight end for a running back as an example, and he still won. And he had the catch the week before the two weeks before um, to beat Dallas in the first place. Those kinds of guys are incredibly hard to beat. So I'm pulling for the Niners, but I'm terrified. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm not terrified, in part because I think defensively the Niners are better equipped to handle Kansas City's attack than they were, uh, you know, Detroit's attack or the way that Baltimore comes after you. Um, you know, the Niners' run defense, 22nd in the NFL after Week 11. And I, you know, I was at halftime kind of looking at the Niners' run defenses in their box scores from like weeks, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15. And I was going, this has been an ongoing problem. Why didn't I notice this before? But I also think the Lions made a mistake in getting away from their run game. Ugh. I want more of your phone calls. 503 417 7575. Who you got in the Super Bowl? Well, the pundits are out. They're talking about the. NFC and AFC championship game. Do they get it right? I want to play that game today. I I normally try to keep the noise out of uh, out of my head. I don't like to hear a bunch of other opinions before I go on air. I don't like to see and hear what other people are saying. I you know because I want I don't want to be influenced by it. So I think it's an interesting sort of exercise to kind of take a sampling of what is going on nationally, what are they saying, and so we're going to do it in this segment. I want your phone calls as well, 503-417-7575. Tell me what you thought of the AFC-NFC championship game. I thought the NFC game was a better game, but I'm a Niner fan. Was the AFC game better because Patrick Mahomes was on point? And by the way, for those of you who are upset about Taylor Swift being part of the Super Bowl, the NFL wins. It wins because she's around the game. It's bringing in fans that, you know, probably wouldn't be as interested. I have no problem with Taylor Swift being part of the game. And, in fact, my friend Andrew thinks that CBS should do a split screen and put Taylor stream on one side of the screen and the game on the other side of the screen. And I guarantee you people would tune into that broadcast so that Everybody can see Taylor's reaction to every play during the game. And if that's if that's interesting to people, have at it. I don't understand why people are mad. Are they mad? About Taylor Swift being part of the Super Bowl festivities. But let's see nationally what they're saying. Here's Richard Sherman on first take on FS1 talking about Brock Purdy. And by the way, was Brock Purdy not great? He helped beat the Lions with his legs as much as he did with his arm. I thought it was one of his best games, certainly his best game in a big, big game setting. Here's Richard Sherman from FS1. I think it will be different this time. I think though 
you guys aren't giving him enough credit. This second-year quarterback out of Iowa State is one of those guys. Skip, he's a guy. And it's weird because the, if, if usually this underdog story is one that America loves, Skip. It's one that America cheers for, and they jump, get behind. But for some reason, we've found this underdog story to get first round, number one pick, Super Bowl champion expectations and standards, but seventh round mystery relevant credit. It's like, hey, it's a feel-good story when he wins, but when he doesn't do well, it's like, well, I mean, you see, you see, I told you, he can't, he, he isn't doing this well, he isn't doing that well. He was a, he was a third string quarterback last year, but I think he's going to be the difference in this game. The plays that he makes with his legs, the decisions that he makes, there were plays that Jimmy G in this game against the Lions probably would have dirted the ball or put it out of bounds or, or just ate the ball because pressure got there and Brock Purdy was able to make those positive plays. Yeah, two things I was impressed with with Purdy were, one, he made several throws with a Detroit Lions defensive lineman like in his face, in, his, in the kitchen, so to speak, and he makes the throw and takes the hit. That's new. That's not Jimmy G. You can see the shade thrown by uh, Richard Sherman there, who was a teammate. And and it was part of the success. And it, and it sort of underscores the value of Brock Purdy. He's not there to look pretty. He's not there to make all the great throws. He's not there to single-handedly beat you. That's Patrick Mahomes' job. But Brock Purdy's job is to get the ball to George Kittle, get the ball to Christian McCaffrey, get the ball to Debo Samuels, find Brandon Ayuk when he can, and, oh, if there is a opportunity for you to tuck the ball and run, go get 7 yards, 10 yards, 12 yards. He did far better than that against the Detroit Lions. I thought it was a really good showing. It's still not going to shut everybody up because it's not pretty. He's not as pretty as some of the other QBs. He, his ball doesn't come out of his hand right. Uh, he doesn't look as pretty when he's running with the ball. He, the one thing I do give Brock Purdy is he looks very poised. He doesn't appear to be flustered at any point. I don't know if his heart rate's going a million miles an hour, but you can't see it on his face, and I like that about him. But he's a distributor. That's his job. Here's Dan Lebetard talking on the same subject. Does he get it right? This is the last pick in the draft. This is an underdog story. This has some of the Tom Brady elements to it. And when Tom Brady started, he was a system quarterback. Yes. And then he got so many reps that he became what he became, but I am genuinely puzzled. Why wouldn't you root for the guy who was the last pick in the draft to be great unless the thing that's most important to you is that your assessment of how good someone is has to be exactly right without any dilution by degrees, and that's the most important thing, not that the guy who's kind of a great story seems to be pretty good and is exceeding every expectation except for yours because you don't want him to be better than you think he is. You nailed it. I don't get that. Like, what's happening there? And give me someone else that the coverage of that person is like that. There are some people, Shannon Sharp among them, so invested in the idea he shouldn't be the reason they win when yesterday, kind of the reason they won. Lucky. Yeah, they don't win that game with Jimmy Garoppolo. And Brock Purdy made the plays. And there was a little Steve Young to his game as well. He felt more like a Steve Young game to me than, than uh, you know, a Tom Brady game. 
because of the way he was running with the football. I, I do think it's a great story, and I think Levitard's onto something. Sometimes both good and bad, both positive and negative, not just the pundits, not just the critics, but the people who cover the games and fans who watch the games, you're looking for confirmation of what you already believe. And it's kind of like watching a boxing match. You know, you go to watch a boxing match, and you're kind of watching your boxer, and you're watching from the vantage point of your boxer, and then maybe your boxer's starting to get beat up, and in the fifth and sixth round you sort of make a mental adjustment, or maybe you don't. Maybe it goes the distance, and then the cards come out, and you go, how in the world can a judge see it a different way? I watched my guy. My guy was delivering all the punishment. Well, I think sometimes people do watch players like Brock Purdy through that lens. He's the last player picked in the draft. He's Mr. Irrelevant. He's an afterthought. He's not the guy the Niners traded all the draft picks to get. That's Trey Lance. And he uh, comes in, and he looks baby-faced, and he makes plays, and they win a bunch of games with him, and people go, well, it's in spite of him. But at some point, I think you have to give credit to Brock Purdy because he understands that team. He understands what that offense is asking of him. And he's a really good story. I'll be curious in the next two weeks, good and bad, if we see him get more credit, more accolades. He got his team there, got him over the hump. He was the missing piece last year with the NFC title game, so he was out with the injury. But I'll be curious to see if Brock Purdy does get the credit. I don't think he's interested in it. I don't think it's why he plays football. But I'll be curious to see if some will come around. And does it take beating Patrick Mahomes in a Super Bowl to get him credit? Because, is it, is it you know, I think it's a coin flip. Is it just that we're giving too much credit to Kyle Shanahan? Because he got Jimmy G to the Super Bowl, and no one thought Jimmy G was great. And so we all just assume that Brock Purdy is on the same level as Garoppolo. Because Garoppolo had good stats. When he was there in San Francisco, the year they got the Super Bowl, it was 27 touchdowns, 14 picks. Like, he was throwing, you know, 68, 69% completion percentage. He was having good numbers, but we all just felt Garoppolo wasn't the guy. Is it just the fact that we give Shanahan so much credit for being an offensive genius that we can't give Brock Purdy any credit? I also think it's a little easier to call plays when you've got Debo and George Kittle and Ayuk is kind of like your fifth option. And you got Christian McCaffrey in the backfield. And, you know, I kind of, you got Trent Williams playing offensive line. Like, you got a lot of assets to start with there. There's a lot of play callers in the NFL that don't have that arsenal, and, and including the Detroit Lions. Like, you know, I think the Lions, like, you put Debo Samuel or George Kittle on the Lions, and that's the compliment to the run game that they have. It makes that play caller's job so much easier, and it puts so much pressure on the defense. And clearly, the Niners in the second half just said, hey, we're going to try to make Jared Goff beat us. And put a little pressure on him. And, you know, luckily the Lions made some mistakes, including the fumble. You know, otherwise I think they win the game in spite of it all. But, you know, look, I I think sometimes we give too much credit, too much criticism for the quarterback position. You might be right about Shanahan. Like, he's a really good play caller. But I, as a Niner fan, I feel better about the Niners with Brock Purdy at quarterback, far better than with Jimmy Garoppolo. There was just something missing. You know, something in his heart with Jimmy Garoppolo. And I don't mean that as a personal attack. There's just something about a guy who, as Richard Sherman said, is going to ground the ball or throw it away. Brock Purdy hung in there and took some shots while he was delivering some passes, made a couple of plays that were just phenomenal. We'll talk Lamar Jackson. Is the narrative on him right after losing an AFC title game? Or, again, are, are we all looking for a scapegoat? Leave it here. I just don't know on a team that's got the weapons that the 49ers have 
if you're ever going to have national media and people, casual fans who tune in to see the team, if you're ever going to have anybody go anything other than, wow, he's got great weapons and he's distributing the ball, certainly Brock Purdy's game does not um, remind you of Patrick Mahomes. You know, he doesn't have that kind of athleticism, that kind of creativity, that kind of skill. Patrick Mahomes reminds me of Steph Curry as a football player. Just so creative. Does things a little different. Looks so unorthodox in being great that it it's just creative. It's just a it's a fun and creative game. And I don't know if it's going to age well. Like when Mahomes loses a step, I don't know if it's going to look as pretty. It you know, it probably won't. But I think for now, the window that he's in any game that he's in, he can win because he can win the game. And he's got Travis Kelsey, who has upped his game. And I think part of it is, um, you know, people are attributing it to the Taylor Swift factor. I don't think so, so much. I think it's more that you don't have some of the other weapons that were traditionally there in the Chiefs offense available. And so he's just getting more targets, more important targets, and he becomes a first option in some situations that he normally wasn't. Meanwhile, Lamar Jackson taking some heat on the other side of the AFC title game. Uh, Kyle Brandt talking about Lamar. Does he get this right? There's no shame in losing to the Chiefs. The Chiefs, just not like that. An early touchdown, and then that's it. And we have this prolific talent, and he's home, and the smoke. It's just, it just amounted to nothing. I'm not mad that the Ravens lost. I'm mad that they didn't really show up with much at all. And now we're at this place where I, I mentioned Patrick Holmes is 14-3 and in the playoffs. It's an unbelievable record. Lamar's two and four. Two and four. Yeah. That's terrible. And it's a terrible record for a guy who's going to have a second MVP. What MVPs two times this young? He has as many MVPs as playoff wins. And, like, the playoff wins are not exactly, like, a historic instant 30-for-30 30 30 type wins either. We beat the Texans at home, and we beat the Titans. Those are our wins. So... Listen, it's just the, it's part of the uh, in the vacuum of being in the Mahomes era. Like, just ask, go ahead and ask Josh Allen, ask all these other guys. He wins. He's fourteen and three. He doesn't really lose playoff games. Is it possible that we're watching a great player who is a multiple-time MVP going to be, and it's just that he happens to be playing in the same era as Patrick Mahomes, happens to be playing in an era that included Tom Brady in the tail end of his career, happens to be in an era that includes Josh Allen. Happen, you know, There's a number of top quarterbacks in the league that are a threat to keep Lamar Jackson forever out of the Super Bowl. And I'm just kind of wondering, like, you know, are we looking at, like, Dominique Wilkins during the Michael Jordan era? You know, a, a comparison there. People might throw Clyde Drexler out there during the Jordan era. As like, you know, he's really, really, really good, really great, but happens his career happens to coexist at a time in which the path to the Super Bowl goes through Kansas City, even if the game's not in Kansas City, so to speak. Because Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs have just been there. They're camping in the AFC title game right now, to their credit, and until you knock out Patrick Mahomes, you're you know, you're never gonna fully get your due. Is that a fair take to Lamar Jackson, or was it, or is it the game plan that, that you know? Do the Baltimore Ravens just not have a good game plan and run into a defense that shut them down? Seventeen ten, you score ten points. Like you know, if they would manage twenty eight points, we'd all be talking about the Kansas City game plan and the fact that Patrick Mahomes only mustered seventeen points. 
Like, it, I just think it's a little unfair to put it all on Lamar Jackson. Yeah, I think so, too. I also think it's still, I mean, Lamar is still a young player, right? Like, it's not like he's super old yet, so I'm not ready. He's only 27 years old. I'm not ready to call it, you know, a Patrick Ewing type thing or a Charles Barkley thing or a Clyde Drexler thing where they just can't get over the hump because they run into, you know, Michael Jordan, which is possible. It could end up being that way. We, You know, I think Lamar and will eventually get over that hump one day, but I'm not ready to put it all on Lamar. I thought the game plan was terrible. The fact that they, uh, they, I believe it was 82 or 83% of the plays they ran were pass plays, and they were the number one run issue team in all the NFL this season. Like, they just completely abandoned the run against the Chiefs and went it all on Lamar. Also, Lamar made good plays. Zay Flowers fumbles at the end zone. Zay Flowers gets a taunting penalty. Like, there's a lot of mistakes that I think doesn't help Lamar Jackson. Yeah, he threw the bad I didn't pass. like the taunting penalty, by he, the way. He, me either. I mean, it's just, didn't like it. it Let him a, play. Just, yeah. No, you can't be spinning football on people's faces. I mean, it was yeah. right above his face, John. I don't know. There, were, the, uh, Travis Kelsey gets a first down, and you know he's pointing first down right in the guy's face. You know, he's just smarter about it. You know, he was just a little Tra- smarter. Kelsey more also forced that uh, unsportsmanlike conduct earlier in the game at the end of the first half too by baiting the guy to hit headbutt him. Kyle Van Noy headbutted him because Kelsey. But uh, no, I I think Lamar is too early to blame it all on Lamar. I think the game plan was really bad against the Chiefs, and it's, it's Todd Munkin's first year. So if he's still there for a couple of years, we'll see how that matures going forward. But I think Lamar eventually gets over the top for at least one Super Bowl. But I don't know, man. You go up against Patrick Mahomes every year; it's going to be tough. Rex Ryan had a take on the game plan. Steven, it's in sports audio. Can you cue up the Rex Ryan clip talking about the Ravens game plan? Because I think it's really interesting to kind of look at, you know, the a coach or a former coach who can see a game plan and knows when a game plan's right and knows when a game plan's off. In fact, I got it now. Oh, you got it? Go ahead. Go ahead and play it. This is the stupidest game plan I've ever seen. And you know what, Greg Roman, every single person needs to apologize to you because you got blamed for everything about what was wrong in Baltimore. And it wasn't you because this this new guy that we uh, praised the hell out of. Todd Munkin. Yeah, Todd Munkin. By the way, you you don't have Tom Brady. Do you realize your quarterback is Lamar Jackson? Not Tom Brady. What in the hell are you doing dropping back 82% of the time? This is a team that led the NFL in rushing attempts. They had six whopping rushing attempts yeah. to, the, to the running backs. So Spice like, I'll put every little dude. Hey, RC, you go play D-tackle because they ain't going to run the ball. What the hell are you doing? Okay. You can see here and hear the frustration from Rex Ryan as he's talking about the game plan. Um, interesting what happens as the funnel and the stage, the funnel grows narrower. We're down to two teams in the NFL and the stage gets bigger. Do you think that's inexperience? Because it's the whole Dan Campbell thing as well, a little maybe inexperience of uh, losing yourself under the pressure yeah. of the moment. I do think it's inexperience. I think what we saw, look, all right, let's take, you know, it, it, it's it's not fair to like just say let's take Patrick Mahomes out of the game and the equation. But let's just look at this on paper. You have the Kansas City Chiefs who have been camping in the AFC title game against a Baltimore team with some inexperience and a quarterback that doesn't have a lot of wins in those situations. And you got the 49ers on the other side who have been sniffing around it, 
got to a Super Bowl, didn't have the success, got back to the championship game, couldn't break through, get back to the championship game again against a Detroit team that had never, you know, 1957. You know, and and Jared Goff had been there, and two other Lions players had been to the t- been to a title game, but the you know fifty of the Lions players for the first time were looking around, going, "This is what the NFC title game looks like," and and so I do think that experience, and I don't think it mattered that the Ravens were as much at home in the end as it did that they were up against a quarterback in Patrick Mahomes, who has been there, and per- it was no big deal. This was no big deal. For Patrick Mahomes, and we all could see it. Dan Patrick said he'll never bet against Patrick Mahomes ever. Kansas City, once again, as an underdog, and they're an underdog. It started out at, I think, two, and now it's down to a point. So, a slight underdog. But once again, here's Mahomes as an underdog. And as I said, for many, many years, felt like a couple of decades, I'd never bet against Tom Brady. I'd never bet against Patrick Mahomes. He has... Elevated to that status. And there aren't many people in that uh, category there. Doesn't take long to call roll, but he's there. Look, when you get to that stage and you are Patrick Mahomes and you are, you know, I, I saw the spread. I thought actually the Chiefs might be a point to a point and a half favorite. Won't be surprised if this is a pick 'em by the time the game kicks off. It's even, it's essentially a pick 'em. And I think it's San Francisco, who I think has a little better, more versatile all-around offense against Kansas City that has the best player in the game and a defense that is sneaky good. Like when you look at the points allowed this season by the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, you're not going to find anybody, you know, you know you're know, you going to find a lot of teens and a lot of 20s uh, scored against them. So I think it's going to be a great Super Bowl. I do think it's going to be in the 20s. And I, I think San Francisco is going to do a lot of talking uh, about finally getting a chance to break through. Jeff Schwartz, former NFL offensive lineman, is going to break it down for us next. I think we're in a very fun time of the year, right? Are we not? Fun time of the year. AFC, NFC championship games in the books. Now we have two weeks to talk about a Super Bowl. I'd like to get experts on the show. Jeff Schwartz. Our next guest is an expert. What what makes him an expert? Well, I'm glad you asked that. Played in the NFL. Played at the University of Oregon. You can find the Schwartz on SiriusXM talking football, among other things. Great follow on Twitter. But here's a guy who played with the Carolina Panthers and the Vikings and the Chiefs and the Giants and the Lions. Former Oregon... Standout offensive lineman Jeff Schwartz, man of the world, joining us now. How are you, man? I'm doing good. I'm in my son's basketball practice right now. You know, just been doing the, you know, doing the parent uh, kid uh, taking him to sporting events. Then. I like that. All right, what kind of parent are you at his games? Can you sit quietly, <laughs> root positively, or are you torn up? What kind of parent? What kind of fan are you? So it's funny. Uh, my kids had a swim meet this weekend. And um, one of the parents came up to me afterwards, like, you're just, like, so quiet at these events. You know, maybe because you're a former athlete and you just don't get too worked up with these things. Like, I'm screaming and yelling. You don't even make a – you don't say a word. I'm like, yeah, what, what am I – what am I going to scream? My kids are in the pool. What am I going to yell at them? I mean, <laughs> like, what do you want me to say? <laughs> um, I mean, I, you know, like, we, I, 
I record my kids. I mean, I time my kids. At the, at the, I do my own stopwatch. It's probably yeah. a little hardcore. Only other parents are doing that. <laughs> but like my wife and I like track their times. I just do it. Yeah. I just do it quietly. Before, I do have a stopwatch in my truck because I use it at the gym. So it's not like I just carry it around for, for swim meets. But I don't yell and scream. I, my son is nine. My daughter's seven. What, what am I going to yell and scream about? Like, <laughs> baseball, sometimes I might mo- you know groan about an umpire. But, like, it's a, you guys, you guys getting paid 15 bucks an hour. What, what am I going to groan about? So I don't really – I'm not a big – I'm not even a big yeller and screamer watching football. The only time, to be honest with you, when Oregon plays Washington, that's like the only time of the year my wife will like leave the room because I'm, you know, like I'm into it so much that it really like I'm loud about it. Otherwise, I'm not that type of fan. I love that. And you know what? Your your kids know you care and you're there. You don't need to be vocal and yelling. I had, I had a similar experience in that people know that I'm in sports media, and so they're always asking me for analysis of the games and i'm like it's 12 year old volleyball you know i don't have an i don't have analysis on this to offer i'm just here showing my support love seeing my kid compete i watching my kids play play their sports and you know they do basketball flag football baseball softball and, and swim basically different times of the year you know and like i just love watching them play it's like my favorite thing ever i i plan my whole schedule around trying to beat every practice and you know, I'll coach a little bit if I can. You know, my radio schedule now is obviously very different with our show ending. Um, and just like, I just love watching them play sports. It's been my favorite thing. Jeff Schwartz with us. Um, look, NFC, AFC title games. Which game did you think is more interesting? Like, if you you and I are bumping into each other in the gym, what are we starting our conversation with? Are we talking Niners-Lions or are we talking Chiefs-Ravens? We're probably saying I can't believe the Lions blew that game, right? That's probably or it was the final game of the night, right? And it was 24-7 at halftime. You're probably talking about Dan Campbell's fourth-down decision, and you're talking about, you know, sort of why the Lions lost that game more than the Niners won that game. You know, you know this in football, sometimes it's not about purposely winning a game. It can be more about a team, like, purposely losing a game, right? If you just don't make mistakes and you let the other team screw up, that can, that can lead you to victory. The Niners in the second half of that game, the Lions fumbled. Um, you know, they, they dropped passes. They weren't as crisp. They defensively weren't as good. Obviously, a fourth-down decision, we could debate, you know, yes or no on those. I'm more of the aggressive type of guy, like, just go for it and, and live with the results. The Lions had done it all season long. Um, and and so I think the Lions sort of lost that game more than the Niners won that game. But some of that is, that's what football is sometimes. Like, the Chiefs, the Chiefs didn't score a point in the second half. It's still won that game because the Ravens made a lot of mistakes. That's just sometimes what happens in football. Jeff Schwartz with us, former NFL offensive lineman. Schwartz, um, the Lions were dominating the line of scrimmage. And as an offensive lineman, I have to think you were watching that. It was probably a thing of beauty in the first half. What changed in the second half? Why did the Lions get away from what made them so good in the first half? You know, it's a good question, John. I think a lot of times, um, you know, coaches that, are not in this situation very often. And Ben Johnson is one of those guys the Lions off of the player. Obviously, Dan Campbell has been in the situation a little bit with the Saints, but not with the Lions. It's, you know, you, you panic is the wrong word, but you you start, you look at the scoreboard, like, oh, boy, well, the Niners, man, like, they're, they're starting to score. we got to pass the ball. we got to, you know, we have to make sure that, that we keep up with the Lions. You sort of ditch your game plan a little bit. And 
I understand that thought process. I've been on teams where that's happened before. Um, but it, it's very hard to stay disciplined and true to what you are when things start going haywire. And the more you play and coach in these games, the better you get used to pace of them. You know, you, you asked at the beginning, Joy, how you know, what sort of fan am I? And part of the reason why I'm not a big yellow and screamer is the games are long, man. It's 60 minutes. Like it, It's a long game. Eight, nine, ten possessions. And things can happen so quickly, which is all the Niners. And I think sometimes coaches forget that, that is that that it is a long game and sometimes just sticking with the plan you you came into it is the right way to go. And the Ravens will certainly go through this and they didn't run the ball enough. And I think we saw the Lions sort of get away from, you know, really being able to do what they have done so well to run the football. And they really did control the line scrimmage. I mean, Penny Sewell was was incredible. The offensive line all season was good. And Goff, look, Goff was good in the first half. When he has a clean pocket, man, he's as good as they come. Sean, he had the biggest drop-off of a starting quarterback between the push percentage, between pressure and no pressure. Pressure, man, just crumbles. No pressure, really good. And the Lions just sort of got away from their game plan when things started going haywire. What did you make of the fourth decisions to go for it on fourth down from Dan Campbell? Look, I, I can't um, be like pro fourth down when Dan Lanning goes for it, and then you know anti fourth down when Dan Campbell goes for it. Right? I mean, <laughs> right. I, you know, like I here's the thing about it: if I'm a Lions fan today, yeah, the margin was three points. I get that. And the margin against Oregon and Washington was three points the first game, you know. And I can, I, I can live with my coach being aggressive and going for it because that's what they are, right? Dan Campbell did it. All. It's, it's why they got to where they are. I talked about this when we came with Oregon, John. Oregon completed, like, I think, or converted, like, 80% of fourth downs this year. It just so happened they were over three against Washington. You know, like, it just, that's, that's just like, the Lions were, were two for four, I think, in, you know, fourth down that game. It just, it just didn't happen on those, those two fourth downs. Look, man, I mean, I think you can blame a lot of different things why they lost that game. A field goal there in one of those times, I certainly think attitude and momentum and just the feeling of you're going to win would have been greater if you're up 17 and 14. So understand why people are arguing for the field goal. And I think it's a valid argument. Say, hey, look, man, you know, the, the feel of the game would have been different if the Lions were up 17, not 14. They might not have won the game still. I mean, I was, again, put up with 31 second-half points. Um, but it would have it would have felt different. But I, I, I don't want to sign with the calls, man. Like, that's who they are all season. Be that team, execute, guys open, Reynolds have to catch that football, a little better throw from Goff, and we're not talking about that today. We're talking to Jeff Schwartz, former Oregon Duck, former NFL offensive lineman. Your brother Mitch uh, played for the Chiefs, won a Super Bowl with the Chiefs. You know kind of the culture of the Kansas City Chiefs and Andy Reid and uh, Patrick Mahomes. You're well, uh, well-versed in it. Um, you know, were you surprised to see Mahomes beat the Ravens and, and look so good doing it. I thought the Ravens would win. Um, you know, the what, what you sort of want from the Super Bowl caliber team is what you saw from the Ravens up until yesterday, which is, you know, league quarterback play and they're just really physical on both sides of the ball. But the Chiefs forced them into mistakes, man. I mean, we talked about it earlier, John, like the Ravens turned the ball over. Uh, that was a bad, you know, bad uh, throw by Lamar there in triple coverage. Jay Flowers fumbled. Um, there were some, some errors, I thought, in pass protection, sort of Lamar finding opportunities to, 
to run the ball. They didn't do enough. They, they only called, they called, they only had six runs um, by their two running backs combined. And they made a lot of mistakes in this game. Mahomes was really, really good in the first half. The second half was actually how I thought the game would go for the Chiefs offense. I thought it would be really tough to move the ball considering the Ravens' personnel and where the Chiefs are. But it goes to show you, you know, the Chiefs have, have just, they've been here so many times. Whenever you, I love watching the post-game videos the walk, from the Chiefs locker room on these big games because they've played so many of these. Like, they're not rattled. It's so business. Like, after the game, everybody's like, all right, guys, celebrate this one. We got one more. And, like, there's not like a big show. It's like, all right, cool. We won another game. Like, let's go play school. And, yeah. and, and they're, they're always, and so they're always just never worried about the situation. I really think that the Chiefs defense is one of the most underrated units in the NFL. They're really, really good. They have two all-pro corners, even though only one made it this season. Well, Jerry Snead should have been all-pro. He was better than Jimmy Duffy. They have an elite pass rusher in, in, uh, in Chris Jones. Kaloffis is getting better. Two really good linebackers, and Gay will be back for the game most likely. Steve Spagnuolo might be one of the best coordinators in NFL history. Like, legit, he's one of the only – he's one of the only coordinators who's won a Super Bowl with two different teams now. And Obviously, he might win a third one with the Chiefs. I mean, he, he is does such a good job in, in that role. He shut down the, the Patriots in 07, the Giants DC. He shut down the Ravens this past weekend. I mean, he's brilliant. And so the Chiefs just play really complimentary football this season. You would have never thought last year, I'd tell you, they went against scoring 17 points in the postseason. You tell me, no, no way. But that's who they are now. They play complimentary football, and they're going to be really tough out for the Niners. We're talking to Jeff Schwartz, former NFL offensive lineman, former Oregon Duck. Uh, Jeff, um, let's talk about those defensive lines. You mentioned, uh, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs D line. The Niners defensive line got pushed around a little bit in the run game. Uh, what's going on with with Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead? Uh, I'm not. I have not been impressed with Chase Young. You know, I'm watching him dog it a little bit. Uh, I, I, you know, he just doesn't just seems to be out there taking up space at times. But you're an expert. Tell me what you see on the Niners defensive yeah. line. They're just not as talented as they were last season, honestly. Um, you know, Bosa's good, and he's had a great season. You know, Armstead has been a little bit up this year, right, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm correct on that, and just sort of, yeah. you know, an older player that's not as good as he's been. There's no compliment. You mentioned Chase Young. There's no compliment. Hargrave is gone, obviously. Hard, yeah, Hargrave went to the Eagles, right? Or yeah. went to vice versa. Um, and so, I, you know, they're just, they're just not as good right now. Um, and they can't stop the run very well, and the Chiefs are trying to turn into a rushing team. The Chiefs don't stop the run terribly well, but um, they they just are getting better each week. They have Chris Jones, obviously, impact, Carlos from the outside. They lost one of their defensive ends to an ACL injury. We now say it's a pretty big loss for them. So I'm kind of curious to see you know how that impacts what the Chiefs do. Both teams should really come out and try to run the football. Like, if they were – if you're designing game plan, both teams, that's the, that's, the, that's the weakness for both of these defenses. And so I'm curious, who could stick to that longer? Obviously, Shanahan favors the run more than Andy Reid does. Um, the Niners' defense, man, it's, it's, it's not as good as it's been the last three or four years. We talk about it like they're still good. They allowed, obviously, almost points to the Lions, 31 points to the Lions. They allowed, what, 20-ish points to the Packers, over 20 points to the Packers. The Cardinals a couple weeks ago run ran for 20 yards on them. Like, they're not the same defense they've been in the past. I mean, Chiefs have a good chance of scoring them. Jeff Schwartz with us. Schwartz, uh, you know, the the two weeks in the run-up to the game, you watched your brother go through it. 
as a player in the league, you know, you understand the pace of, of a game and the distractions that come with a Super Bowl. Um, can you give us some insight into, you know, you watched Mitchell go through it in Kansas City and winning a Super Bowl. Yeah. Give, give us some insight into what that's like. Yeah, you know, I think it's even easier for the Chiefs now because they've all been through this a while. I mean, you read said it today, like, we'll just keep our same schedule we had last season. <laughs> like, last year. Like, you could, I mean, and Shanahan for that, you know, they went to the Super Bowl and played the Chiefs in 54. Um, they made a big deal, I don't know if you saw the tweets, John, about how the teams are staying on Lake Las Vegas, which I didn't know was a thing, but it's pretty far outside the city. And that's what you do, you know. You you stay a little isolated. The Chiefs in Miami stayed in way north Miami, like an hour from the city center. Like you, you just try to keep the routine. Monday night's a little crazy at that media night, which I went to the one Super Bowl Fifty Four in Miami. The media night was insane. It was at Marlins Ballpark. That's a little different. That's a little crazy. But then you get back in your routine. You get your practice, your film. You know, you keep distractions the best you can to a minimum. You hope that. You know, you have a, a spouse or an agent that deals with, with tickets and sort of everything that, that's, that's periphery, and you just try to prepare like usual. Now, the oddest thing people have said, I know my brother said this, is, and I, I felt this a little bit in the stadium, is, you know, you're at a neutral site game. And a lot for a lot of these guys, they haven't played a neutral site game since maybe college. Even then, it's like, you know, if you're in a big-time program, you play one every other year maybe. And so the environment in the stadium is really weird because you have, your crowd, the visiting crowd, and you also have a corporate crowd that's not really there to to do anything just other than sort of be at the game. Halftime is longer, so preparing and knowing how to get through a longer halftime. The, the, the halftime show, obviously, pregame is longer. It's just so having the experience that Chiefs do, and really the Niners, since Shanahan was there as well, is it, really valuable uh, when things are a little bit different. But I think that the biggest lesson I learned from my brother was just try to keep the same routine, right? Keep exactly what you do during the week, you just do it in different cities. Who wins? So my, my option is uh, I get to choose between Brock Purdy and Patrick Mahomes. Those are my choices. Those are two quarterbacks in this game. Those are a pretty easy decision, right? Like, I, how often do we see these lesser talented quarterback win the Super Bowl? Nick Foles certainly did, right? But you get, you know, Tom Brady won, right, the next year, and then Patrick Mahomes won, and then it was Tom Brady again, and then it was Matthew Stafford, and then Patrick Mahomes. I mean, I, I don't really – Niners can certainly win, but I'm not betting on Brock Purdy to win the Super Bowl. I mean, it comes down to quarterback play, right? And I mentioned some of the, the defensive stuff for the Niners. They're going to dial some pressure. Excuse me, for the Chiefs, I should say. I have the Chiefs winning this game. I, the underdogs, again, I, I get it. The Niners' power range is higher than Kansas City, but Chiefs are locked in, man. I, I, John, I, you watch a lot of sports. I think you would agree with me on this. The idea of flipping the switch is not a thing that happens, I don't think, in, in the postseason for a lot of, in a lot of sports and baseball. You just don't flip a switch in the postseason. Basketball sometimes, right, the way the roster construction is and guys sitting out, older players maybe. The NFL, you don't flip a switch. The Chiefs have. The, the offense, no, fewer mistakes, fewer turnovers, fewer penalties, fewer everything. They look like a different team, man, and I'm not betting against them right now. Shorts, go focus on your kids and swimming. I appreciate your basketball you. wherever you are. I appreciate you joining us. Thanks, man. Great to hear your voice. Thank you. Take care, buddy. Bye. All right. There he goes, Jeff Schwartz. He's picking the better quarterback, and he's right. It was Patrick Mahomes over Jalen Hurts last year in the Super Bowl. Matthew Stafford beat Joe Burrow. Um, you know, you got Tom Brady over Mahomes. You got Mahomes over Garoppolo. You got Brady over Goff. 
You got Foles, who beat Brady in 2017, uh, as an outlier there. Uh, but certainly, you see great quarterbacks around this game. And, you know, we're only about, you know, a few hours away from somebody going, Brock Purdy would be the worst quarterback since, you know, fill in the blank, to win a Super Bowl. And that will be the narrative all week long as uh, people sort of unpack the 49ers and the Chiefs matchup in two weeks on February 11th. For me, uh, he's right about the atmosphere when you go to a Super Bowl. I've been to nine Super Bowls. I'm I'm telling you, um, if you go to if you choose to go to a Super Bowl, you should know that it's a bit of a spectacle. It's kind of like at the the movie Jurassic Park. You know, Jurassic Park came out. Remember the movie Jurassic Park, and the the people who get to go into Jurassic Park and they're kind of touring it. And they're kind of looking around, and they're wide eyed, and they're seeing the dinosaurs for the first time. The fans who are coming into a Super Bowl stadium, it's like that experience. Welcome to Jurassic Park. And they're walking through the gates, and they're kind of just looking around, and they're wide-eyed, and they're absorbing the atmosphere because it has been billed, and it is larger than the game. It is much larger than the game. It's the pregame. It's the hoopla. It's the fan fest. It's the halftime show. And, oh, there's a football game going on. And and people are just a little wide-eyed coming into the stadium. And the ticket prices, you know, the you know, I, I've looked around and I've told people it is a better experience to go to a college football playoff national title game, a Final Four in the NCAA tournament, certainly Olympics, a World Series game, I think are better fan experiences than a Super Bowl because the ticket prices, price outcome and fans, you don't get a lot of atmosphere. You get a corporate crowd and and some fans who are like, mortgaging their home to buy tickets and such. It, but but there's a little Jurassic Park feel to it as the fans are coming into the stadium. And I've had that, and I've kind of looked around, and I go, these fans, these are not your diehard fans. This is a corporate crowd. They got tickets from somebody that works for one of the sponsors, or they bought tickets on the secondary market, and this is a bucket list thing for them, and they're not really here because they're a diehard Kansas City Chiefs fan or a diehard 49ers fan. And so you get that feel to the stadium in the game. It's just a little different. All right, we got punch and audio coming up. I got great sound. I want to share it with you. Leave it here. You got the BFT on the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. Adam Schefter reporting that Jimmy Lake has been named a defensive coordinator. The Atlanta Falcons. There you go. Uh, Raheem Morris naming Jimmy Lake his D coordinator. He's taken uh, Zach Robinson as his offensive coordinator. And Marquise Williams will be the special teams coordinator in Atlanta. Jimmy Lake back in the game officially as a defensive coordinator. Things went wrong for Jimmy Lake when he was at Washington. Clearly, it was um, it was quick and dirty at, at, in Washington. And by the time he shoved a player on the sideline or had that altercation on the sideline at the Oregon game, the frustration was boiling over and the tolerance for that uh, not tolerated. Uh, but happy Jimmy Lake's getting another opportunity to coach and redeem himself. Um, I mentioned Jurassic Park, Stephen, in the last segment. I'm kind of thinking about, like, you know, the wide-eyed, you know, characters who are wandering through watching the uh, dinosaurs that they were just, their eyes, were, their jaws were hitting the ground as they were watching kind of the dinosaurs and everything going around them. That's kind of, that's how the fans are when they go into a Super Bowl. Do you want to go to a Super Bowl? Would that be like I could take you to a Final Four, National Championship game, Summer Olympics? Do you go to a Super Bowl? And if so, is this 
the one. Out of those options, no, the Super Bowl is not the answer. I do. I would want to go to a Super Bowl. There was a time Packers, Steelers, back at Jerry's World when it first opened. The Packers are my dad's team. The Steelers are my brother's team. I tried to talk him into going just like last minute, like spur of the moment. Hey, let's get to the Super Bowl. Uh, just didn't happen. But I would want to go. But out of those options, I think for me, the Summer Olympics would be the best. Like I, I would yeah. love to do that as my number one option. But I do want to go to a Super Bowl, John. I do think it would be interesting just to see the hoopla before. Like, I think the the before the game stuff would be a lot more interesting than the actual game because you're right. Yeah. I've, heard, I've heard that before where the actual game is a lot more downtime with all the commercials and all that kind of stuff. So uh, the actual game isn't the most fun, but the before stuff, the hoopla stuff before, the preview, all that kind of thing, I would want to experience that. It's not like... You know, we saw in these championship games that the fan bases were really excited. You don't have that atmosphere in the stadium. You have a very sterile murmur in the crowd, so to speak. I do. I, I think you're right on with the Summer Olympics. I sell that all day long. And if you can go to a Summer Olympics in a foreign country, go see it. I went to Sydney for the Olympics in 2000, Athens in 2004, Beijing in 08. London in 2012. I did a Vancouver Winter Olympics as well. And I got to tell you, those Summer Olympics in foreign countries on foreign soil, phenomenal immersive experiences. And not just because you're watching the culminating moment of somebody's life play out before you, you know, and, and I would just show up to some venues early. And I'm not like well before the event I wanted to see. And I'm watching like, you know, wrestlers from some Eastern European country wrestle each other. I know nothing about their stories, but you're watching somebody win a gold medal and you're watching their life's work unfold before you. And the crowd is on the edge of their seats because the crowd knows. And so, and, and you're hearing like chants, you know, and people sing the national anthem and run around the venue with their flag. And I still think Kathy Freeman, I watched Kathy Freeman in, in Sydney in 2000, running and winning the women's 400 meters at the track. I don't know that I've ever heard a louder venue than when she turned to the home stretch. And it was like, it goes beyond just the race. Here was an Aboriginal woman who was running to represent her country. And for us here in the United States, maybe we don't recognize kind of the experience that is going on in, in Sydney, in Australia, and for Aboriginal people who, you know, her, for years had the back-of-the-house jobs. They worked in a restaurant, but they worked in the kitchen. And now you're watching Kathy Freeman run around the track after winning the gold medal. And she's got tears in her eyes. And she's carrying the Australian flag and the Aboriginal flag. And you're going, oh, that's what it meant. And I don't know if NBC's even going to show that. But you get that if you're there. And I don't care if you go to ping pong or volleyball, or handball, or track and field, or swimming, or rhythmic gymnastics. It's every single day, every venue, somebody's dream is coming true. And somebody's, you know, they're competing for a gold and a silver and a bronze, and somebody's going to get left out. And every moment feels big. Every possession of every game, every move feels big. And even in fencing. And I watched uh, Mariel Zunigas uh, from Beaverton win gold in fencing. I was there. I didn't know a damn thing about fencing. I turned to the guy next to me who was from France, and I said, teach me how to score fencing. What are they trying to do here? 
And he explained it to me. And by the end of the evening, I was an expert on fencing. And but you're just watching such a, uh, a tremendous moment. And and the favorites don't always win. I think it's one of those things that is very different than the team sports that we often root for in the United States. The individual sports in the Olympics, there comes a pressure with the Olympic Games because it's every four years. And you see the the you know the national champion from two years earlier can get knocked out by you know an unseated opponent in the early rounds and you see upsets because if you don't bring your best there are you know there's a field of 24 or 48 or 16 that is showing up to play and it's just amazing to kind of watch it unfold and i i'll be honest i'm not ashamed to tell you this like i i've been to rhythmic gymnastics I don't know a damn thing about it, but I've watched the best in the world compete. And I can tell you, like, when you're seeing the best in the world do anything, you're watching something special. And so that's why I think the Olympics is is amazing to, to go see it. Now, the Super Bowl, yeah, if your team's in it or it's in your town or there's a, you know, somebody got you tickets, go see it. I'm not saying don't go see it. Like, it's pretty cool to kind of see the spectacle that is a Super Bowl, but just know, like, you're going to show up a few days ahead of time. You're going to, uh, you know, I've been to the Super Bowl all those times, and some of the, it's kind of the people watching of it and watching all the NFL players who aren't participating in the game who kind of flock to the city, and Vegas is going to be ridiculous, and seeing the parties that go on and going to some of the parties. I went to the ESPN party. I went to the Maxim party. I went, you know, I went to all these places back in the day, and you kind of just watching the scene that is Kim Kardashian showing up to a party or, or you know, watching the scene that is seeing, like, kind of the B-level celebrities that show face at the Super Bowl. You know, the the guy who was from the Gazelle commercials, uh, Wade Boggs, Andre Agassi, and you're going, you know, this is kind of a B-level uh, thing to some, you know, it's a place to be seen and be marketed as well at the Super Bowl. And then, you know, admit it, you're watching... You know, just kind of the city that, you know, I can't imagine Vegas is, you know, is going to be faced by this because they went through the Formula One thing where they just completely ruined the strip and shut it down. And everybody in Vegas was like, this is the stupidest thing ever that they're doing. And now Vegas is, you know, Vegas has had NBA All-Star and has had other big events. But this Super Bowl in Vegas will be kind of a spectacle by itself. And then you're throwing onto it the Taylor Swift factor. Which I don't mind. Why are people so mad at Swifty? Stephen Vaughn, why are people mad at Swifty? It's, um, I think it's more that they're mad about the coverage of Travis Kelsey. Like, that's my problem with it. I don't have a problem with Taylor Swift. I understand why they show Taylor Swift. Now I just see Travis Kelsey do all these commercials, and I see his face everywhere. And I, and when that happens to me, for me, over it. I'm over it. I'm over him, and I'm over that. And so then the fact that, you know, you provide the, uh, you know, the most popular singer out there, I think that's what it is. I think it's more that we get tired of Travis Kelsey, but I don't know. It just, it doesn't bother me when they show Taylor Swift. I think it's funny. I think it's fun. Uh, but yeah, I, I, Travis Kelsey, I could do without him. I have no problem with her being put on camera. I don't, it doesn't bother me that they've become a thing. But are you willing to recognize now that you have seen her, like, give him a kiss on the field, point at, Andy Reid. She's buddies with Andy Reid now. Are you willing to acknowledge what I told you from the beginning, that this is true love? 
This is not about marketing. This is not about her getting more fans. She has enough fans. I think these two people are truly in love. Well, I have a little preview here to the 5 and 5. I've already come up with one of them. Uh, it has to do with the little love of Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey. But I'm with you. I'm, I'm willing to admit that maybe I was wrong. and Maybe I was a little early to jump the gun on that and say that uh, it was Travis Kelsey trying to get more popular. But I don't know. I also think this, John, with when it comes to them, it's uh, I I think a lot of people turn it political as well. Like Taylor Swift is very liberal. Travis Kelsey very liberal. Did you know does the Pfizer oh. commercials? I think people don't like that as well. And so you see Travis. Kelsey's, I never even thought about that. So you, th- you see Travis Kelsey's face all of his commercials. Then one is the Pfizer commercial for the COVID vaccine, and I think people get very upset about it when they say, you know, what, I just want my football on here. I just think she's really good at what she does. She's better. I actually think she's better at her job than he is at his job. He's really good. I agree. And I, this is what I say about Taylor Swift. You don't have to necessarily like her music because, you know, some's fine, some's not. But she at least writes her own music. And she's actually an artist where there's a lot of artists out there that don't write their own music, don't play their own instruments. She at least writes her own music and sings her own songs. So, like, you got to give her credit for that because a lot of people these days don't even do that. I think for him, there's some. it's fraught with risk, though. We all know he ends up as the subject of a song. This doesn't go well. We also know... That like there are his there is a historical precedent for high profile athletes and high profile celebrities and it tends to not go well for the male counterpart. The Kardashians are a different animal. Like you know we've talked about this. You you look at you know Lamar Odom, you look at Chris Humphreys, you look at Kanye, you you know Bruce Jenner. This none of them have come out of this Kardashian relationship better than when they entered it. Okay, they they come out of it literally changed and different and not um, not with as much uh, clout and looking crazy and despondent and in the case of Lamar Odom down and out and you know I I think that Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift have a chance because of the platform that they're on have a chance to prove that it can be done and that it can work and I'm rooting for it. All right, and I might be in the minority, and some of you sports fans are hating me for saying this, but I have a I have a theory here that like you know maybe this opens the door for more collaborations. We're in the era of collaboration. Is this a collaboration that's got some romance to it? Should it be called a collaboration? Why can't it just be a relationship, John? Hey, when you say hey. collaboration, it sounds like it's made up. It's not made up. But are you and Anna collaboration? Or are you guys? Uh, no, but I'm just saying. Like I'm I'm not opposed. Now look at. If the Super Bowl, she's in a suite, and Usher's on the field at the halftime show, and, like, he points up at her, and boom, the window flies open, and all of a sudden she's got a mic in her hand, and she sings a few bars, people are going to freak out, and they're going to say, this is the NFL, and this was all a show, and it was a sham. No, I just think maybe, like, she's going to be there. Include her in the halftime show. How awesome would that be? She's also elite. You know, as a as a rookie in the NFL, she made the Super Bowl, so there's nothing you can do about that. Yeah, first year she got there. All right, leave it here. Punch and audio next. Final Four is a fun event to go to. I've been to a number of Final Fours. It's uh, you know, it's a festival of college basketball. You'd love it, Stephen. That would be now in your wheelhouse, and you can always find a rooting interest. It's the NCAA tournament on uh, on steroids so to speak. Um, let's play Punch It Audio. I got great sound today. 
We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Fish Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Here's Lewis Riddick with a hot take. He says, blame the Detroit Lions coaches, not the players. Punch it. One of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure that the play that I have dialed up, come hell or high water, I'm trying to get it to the guy who I know is going to be the most consistent playmaker for me because he has been in the past too. If I'm going to remain consistent in terms of my aggression, then 14 is getting that ball somehow, some way if I'm throwing it. Amon Ra's the guy. He's not going to be a second or third option backside. He's the primary guy. And why wasn't he the guy? Why wasn't he the guy in those in that situation in particular? Because clearly Josh Reynolds was not able to rise to the occasion. It started getting his hit in his head. And I know maybe Jared Goff was just playing out the play, you know, and reading it out the way it's naturally supposed to be read out. But I'm telling you. If you're going to go ahead and be aggressive, then I'm definitely going to make sure it's about players over plays, and I'm getting it to my best people. Players over plays. A different equation, though, if you're Detroit versus San Francisco, and I have talked about this all throughout the show today. You know, you've got Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle, Debo Samuel. Who's the guy? Like, you have more options for the guy. I think Detroit just, the biggest sin of the Detroit Lions is probably just not kicking the damn field goals. Take the points. But... The biggest point I will make, Detroit got to the title game before we thought they would get there. I think they arrived early. They'll have their time. I think Dan Campbell can get them back there. How did it sound? Glad you asked. San Francisco in disbelief at the end of the football game as... uh, they took the lead and won 34-31. Here's how it sounded. Punch it. Purdy is under center. He takes the snap. He backpedals a step. Zeroes on the clock. Purdy is under center. He takes the snap. He backpedals a step. Zeroes on the clock. It's over. The sideline's empty. With the comeback for the ages, the 49ers are going back to the Super Bowl and ripping the heart out of the Lions. San Francisco overcomes a 17-point halftime deficit to beat Detroit 34-31. And for the eighth time, the franchise of the 49ers will play for the Vince Lombardi Trophy. It'll be the Chiefs and the 49ers in Las Vegas in a rematch of Super Bowl 54. There it is, San Francisco. Heading to the Super Bowl. I think as you look at, you know, the post-game celebration, Brandon Ayuk and his parents having a moment together that was captured on the NFL Network. What are you thinking, Dad? Oh, man, what a game. What a game. It came up big at the nick of time. So we're so happy we're going to the Super Bowl. Hey, Brandon, just take us through that 51-yard ricochet into your hands and the concentration for you to make that just incredible game-changing play. Just, I just told him God was on our side. The ball was there. I'm not sure what happened, but we ended up with it. We ended up scoring points, and we didn't look back after that. I can tell you what happened. It hit the defender and then bounced into your hands. 
Brandon Ayuk. 49ers were fortunate. I hope they are knocking on wood. I hope they are uh, thanking their lucky stars today because I think they got away with not playing their best football in the divisional round, still beat the Packers, not playing their best football in the title game, still beat the Lions. I've yet to see them play well. Like, they haven't played well in several weeks. Do they need to have a, per, not a perfect game, but a, you know, an A-minus game to beat the Chiefs? Or yes. Can they get, or can they get no. by like they did already? No. You can't, you can't mess around with Patrick Mahomes. It has to be an A-minus game. You don't, you don't have to be perfect, but they have to be better. They have to be much better. I think they will be, too. Debo Samuel played in the game. He clearly was not himself. He's still hurt. 49ers still look like a team. I still don't fully trust Kyle Shanahan. I'm a 49er fan, and I am. But uh, I think, you know, they get two weeks now to prepare, get healthy, think about it, and try to play their best game. Meanwhile, in the in the AFC, Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, I thought they were the better team, but they came up short. This play on the goal line, tremendous hustle play by the Chiefs, I thought was a big part of the outcome. Punch it. Second and eight from the nine. Jackson. The flowers. He dives. The ball came out. It's recovered by Kansas City. Did the ball come out before he broke the plane? I think you're right. They're calling it a touchback and recovery on the field. It's going to be very close. But I do believe this is one of the. On the field as the runner fumbled short of the goal line. Recovered in the end zone by Kansas City for a touchback. This is this is a call that could determine the whole game right here. Sneed! It's out. Who has played as at the highest level this entire season, Jim? Sneed has defended the other team's best receiver, traveled with him all year, and he has shut him down week in, week out, and makes the biggest play of the season, getting the ball back for the Chiefs. It's already been confirmed. It's a turnover. There it was, a turnover that Chris Sims said was more about the Chiefs than it was the Ravens. Punch it. It's too valuable. You're going it's, it's, you're to have first and goal in the one-inch line. That's the thing, too. You know, that, that's, it's first and goal. We, got, we don't need you to be a hero in this moment. You did your job, right? And it's hard. I, I'm certainly knowing it, it's very hard in these type of moments. He's trying, he's, his heart's in the right place. I know that. He's trying to make a big play. It's more about the Chiefs, too. I mean, the Chiefs, just they don't quit on any play. Pursuit. Oh, man, this is a perfect play to beat what we're playing cover zero right there. Oh, he's running a shallow cross. i got to fight through us. But he doesn't give up. He keeps fighting. He keeps running, pursuing the football. Gets there just in the nick of time. That's why he's an all-pro corner, because he can do everything. He's a phenomenal football player. But, yeah, in big moments throughout the game, we saw the Chiefs come up clutch. Chiefs came up clutch in a number of ways. Patrick Mahomes, defensive players, uh, little things. Little things. Little things. If the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, John, that play by Sneed, that's going to go down as one of those plays like a Malcolm Butler interception, sorry, Judah, at the end zone in the Super Bowl. Like, that really is. But I also think, like, you know, yeah, all right, you give, you put seven more points on the Ravens' side, who do you like in overtime? Like, you know, or who... Would Patrick Mahomes have just driven down the field and won the game with a but that, game-winning field that, goal? Didn't you know? that feel like the Lions 49er situation? Had the Lions converted the fourth down, all the momentum would be with the Lions, but they missed all the momentum with the Niners. It felt like the Niners were going to win. I felt like 
the Ravens were going to win that game as they were driving down the field. If Flowers gets in the end zone, they cut the lead to three. The way the Chiefs' offense was not working, that defense, the Ravens' defense figured it out. I thought Baltimore was going to win the game, and then Sneed makes that play. I'll tell you what else is a little wild. The over-under on Lamar Jackson touchdown passes was one and a half. He ended up with one. Mm. That second TD was an inch away from being a TD. Stephen A. Smith says this is on Lamar Jackson. Punch it. Ladies and gentlemen, with all due respect, it was a choke job. Let's just call it what it is. What is the definition of a choke job, Shannon and D.L.? It's doing what you always do, what you're accustomed to doing, until the moment arrives, and then you don't. That is the epitome. That is the definition of what we're talking about here. We're going to see final numbers right here, okay? 20 of 37, 54% completion, 272 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, obviously one interception and one lost fumble. What we won't say enough about is that you came out looking tight, and that defense played lights out and held them the three points the rest of the game, and your offense couldn't answer the call. We can point to a rookie mistake. We can point to immaturity. But in the end, the face of this franchise is Lamar Jackson. Look, a lot of pressure on the quarterback position for obvious reasons, but I do think that it is a little unfair to put it all on Lamar Jackson and say it was a choke job by him. You know, the the Ravens got away from what they do well. It's as much on the offensive coordinator as anybody else. I also think that it's an easier lift for Patrick Mahomes, given the success that he's had, given the fact that you know nobody was going to look at him as a failure on the road for this AFC title game had the Chiefs not won the game. There's just all the pressure was on Lamar Jackson and, and the Ravens, and it looked like it. Man, what a weekend for Oregon State. It started last week. We, we had it on uh, Friday. We had a visit from Jordan Pope, who came on the show. Oregon State did the unthinkable, beating Arizona on Thursday night last week. It sounded like this as Mike Parker had the call. One timeout remaining. Pope into the front court. Beavers could win it with a hoop. Pope goes left. Jordan, a step back three for the win. He hit it, and the Beavers win. Oregon State won that game on Thursday against number nine Arizona. Took it into the weekend. And knocked out Bobby Hurley and Arizona State on Saturday. Beavers out rebounding Arizona State by 21 rebounds. Scott Ruick's women's team on Friday knocked out uh, number three Colorado at Gill Coliseum. Came back on Sunday, knocked out Utah, made Utah look bad. Number 16 Utah, two ranked teams for the women's program, one ranked team for the men's program, 4-0 and for the weekend. Oregon State, giving you a little shout-out here. Oregon State basketball got it done over the weekend. Big performance there for Jordan Pope and his team. Coming up, the 5 at 5. Steven's going to give us the five biggest stories in sports. Every Monday, I publish a Monday mailbag at johnconzano.com. I get all kinds of good questions. I got a really good one that I saved for radio. But I'm going to start tomorrow's show with it because it's got so many tentacles, 
I think we might get three hours of debate and discussion about it. And I didn't want it to cloud the discussion today about the playoffs. It involves coffee. A gift. And a cat. And a reader slash listener who's got a real conundrum. Don't even try to unpack it. Just join me tomorrow at 3 o'clock. We will kick off the show with it. If you want to read the Q&A, and I got a ton of great questions this week. I get the best questions. Go to johnconzano.com. You can check that out. Steven, let's do the 5 at 5. You got five great stories for us. Let's do it. The 5 at 5. Stephen Vaughn has scoured the earth, and he has come up with what he believes to be the five most important great stories going on in sports. Number one. Yeah, John, well, of course we know Super Bowl set Chiefs 49ers. 49ers one-point favorites after it opened at two-and-a-half-point favorites to the 49ers, but that's not the real talk. There was some word that Taylor Swift wouldn't be able to make it to the game, John. She has a show in Tokyo the night before the Super Bowl. That ends around 10 p.m. Tokyo time, which is 5 a.m. Las Vegas time, so Tokyo 14 hours ahead of the East Coast, meaning it's 17 hours ahead of Vegas, uh, meaning that she will be back in time when she travels back to the United States. Flight from Tokyo to Vegas, 12 hours, so she will arrive just over 24 hours before kickoff. Um, and that's big news because uh, according to FanDuel up in Canada, there have been odds on whether or not Travis Kelsey will propose to Taylor Swift on the field after the Super Bowl. The yes is plus 190. The no is minus 250. And then after the AFC title game, <laughs> there are reports that they said, I love you to one another. So what do you got, Johnny? Yes or a no bet? Because you are, uh, you've been on She's board. She's going to perform. She's going to perform. You're going to no, hear her voice. No, propose. Is it going to be a proposal? Oh, no, no. no. I don't, I'm you've not been on board. That. You've been on board with this love train. If they win uh, the if, Super Bowl. I, I don't want a proposal. On, I don't want a proposal out of them. If they propose, they're proving your point, that it's about marketing and about everyone else. Your proposal needs to be your proposal. What I would love to hear is, hey, they got engaged. Travis Kelsey tells a cute story. He did it in private, somewhere important to them. Some music was playing in the background. I don't know. But I don't need it to be on the field like the Boise State guy after, you know, the big touchdown. and As long, dropping, as, as, long you know. as Chris Myers no. doesn't ruin the proposal, I'm okay with it. <laughs> oh, oh, man. You can you imagine how mad the anti-Swifties are going to be if it comes to that? There's a proposal on the field. Now, granted, I don't want Taylor Swift to take over the Super Bowl. Okay, I want to say that. I'm kind of, I'm with the anti-Taylor Swift crowd on that. Like, she needs to be shown a couple times after he scores a touchdown. I'm okay. Cut to her. Show her jumping up and down. Going, Travis scored. Read her lips. But I don't need her to take over the game. Okay? I don't want that. Just to be clear. Number two. And unfortunately, we cannot bet on this. It's not in the U.S. markets, only up in Canada. Uh, but you will be having this, though. More Taylor Swift news, John. Uh, direct knowledge of TMZ says that Taylor Swift will not be performing in any capacity at the Super Bowl halftime show as uh, it'll be an Usher show. TMZ is hearing no chance Swift will go anywhere near the stage, let alone be even close on it. Because of uh, the performance she has the night before in Tokyo, she has three or four shows there. She will, uh, the sources say she will not be performing at all. So uh -huh. we probably won't be seeing mm -hmm. Taylor Swift's going to be all Usher. 
Uh-huh. It's Usher. He points up to the suite. Spotlight. She's got a mic. You telling me she can't sing a couple bars because she's so tired from performing 12 hours earlier she's in Tokyo? She's got to focus on the game, John. I do three hours every day, Taylor. Okay? Five days a week. You're dancing, too, when you do the show. I've seen it. I am dancing. I am performing. She you know, I imagine that flight back from Tokyo. I saw people saying, you know, she leave if she finishes her concert and then you know, her concert ends, it would be like five AM in Vegas the day before the Super Bowl. It's a twelve hour flight back. She's literally arriving back in the United States on a chartered plane, mind you. This isn't she's not gonna be like middle seat on a United flight coming back from Tokyo. She's coming back in her own plane, she's probably sleeping. The whole way back. This isn't like some grueling thing. Let's not like make too much of this. She's of getting ready to pregame. She's pregaming to get ready to Vegas. What are you talking yeah. about? Yeah, this is you know. Come on. Are we? Uh, we're on to number three. Number three. Almost lost count. Go ahead. All right, this one's not Taylor Swift. The Blazers. They are taking on 76ers tonight at Moda Center. Reigning MVP Joel Embiid not active for the game already tonight. It's going to be a second straight game that he has missed. But the big controversy was this weekend on Saturday when the Nuggets took on the 76ers. Embiid missed that game. He did not end up on the injury list until 15 minutes before tip-off. He was not listed on any of the pregame injury reports leading into the game. And according to sources that are close to the situation, Embiid was determined to play in Denver for the first time since 2019, but then was pulled from the game for the medical staff after they watched him warm up. The source said he could barely jump as he warmed up. Now, this isn't the first time Joel Embiid has, uh, quote-unquote, ducked a tough opponent, as he's been known to do this before. So everyone wanted to see the Embiid-Jokic matchup. Did not happen. Uh, Embiid misses that one, as I said. As I said, hasn't played Jokic since 2019. Embiid has missed 12 games now this season. He's the favorite to win the MVP, but if he misses five more, he would become ineligible for the postseason awards. It's a bad look. I mean, it looks like he's ducking another good player in a head-to-head battle. And it also is a sign of the times. I can I can hear the aging veteran NBA stars of yesteryear uh, warming up their uh, warming up their hot takes for tonight to uh, take a shot at him. Not a great look. Um, not good for Embiid. And by the way, uh, the Sixers would this could be a big night for him. He could score eighty tonight. Now he's ducking DeAndre Ayton. Jeez. Yeah, come on. Uh, but bigger. Point, I thought you were going to go to Wednesday's game as Damian Lillard and the Bucks will be in town. Standing ovation for Lillard? Oh, 100%. Yeah, I think uh, there will be standing ovation. All Any cheers. Booze? No. Any booze? Couple? Maybe a few, but not a lot. It'll be it'll be cheers. Like Remember when CJ McCollum came back? His ovation he got was incredible. I mean, Dames is going to be bigger than that, right? You'd think it would be. It's got to be. But I wonder if some of the Blazer fans are looking at the 13-33 and 33 record that the team has and going, you know, some of that would be changed if you-know-who was happier being you-know-where. But you-know-who wanted to go to Miami and ended up you-know-where. So we'll see on Wednesday as uh, the Milwaukee Bucks will be in town. What if Lillard sits that one out? Hmm? Number four. Well, guard Jordan Pope of the Oregon State Beavers, he was named ESPN, and Naismith National Player of the Week, as well as Pac-12 Player of the Week. Uh, of course, 
let off by that big shot he hit over Arizona. And anytime we can play the Mike Parker call, I'm going to replay it again right here. One timeout remaining. Pope into the front court. Beavers could win it with a hoop. Pope goes left. Jordan a step back three for the win. Goal! He hit it, and the Beavers win. I mean, just such a good call there by Mike Parker. Uh, John, it's the first time in more than four years that the Bees have had a Pac-12 Player of the Week. Last one was Trace Tinkle back in the 2019-2020 season in the first week of the actual season. So been a while since the Bees have got a Pac-12 Player of the Week, let alone National Player of the Week. But Pope averaged 25 points, five and a half assists, and two rebounds in the wins over Arizona and Arizona State and had 31 in that game uh, against Arizona. I went to the wrong game on Saturday. I went to see Arizona play at Matthew Knight Arena against Oregon, and Arizona cleaned up. Meanwhile, Arizona State fell at Gill Coliseum to Oregon State. Um, and, and I tweeted that night. I said, you know, I think Jordan Pope could be the national player of the week. And some bozo said, oh, come on, who's Jordan Pope? Whatever. But, you know, he had such a impressive weekend. And you look at what he did in beating the ninth-ranked team with that shot, scoring 50 points in, you know, combined in two games. Um, really impressive show by Oregon State. And Wayne Tinkle is going to be joining us coming up in about 10 minutes to talk about that and talk about their weekend. And so I'll ask him about Jordan Pope and the success he had. But let's, not, let's make no mistake. Like, let's go back. Like, you know, the Oregon State men's basketball team beat a top 10-ranked Arizona team at Gill Coliseum. It meant that they had a win over a top 10 Arizona team in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s, and now 2020s. Um, Fifth consecutive decade that Oregon State beat a top 10-ranked Arizona team. Man, but how important is it going to be to keep Jordan Pope and Corvallis? Because, you know, yes. Pack, haven't had a Pac-12, a Conference Player of the Week since 2019-2020, man. That is a long time to not have that. And Pope is only a sophomore. Like, he's a really good player. So the, somehow they got to hang on to that guy. Pope told us on uh, Thursday, he said, you know, he got an NIL raise, so to speak, at Oregon State. But he stayed out of loyalty. They were the only school that recruited him. By the way, I have the Korean broadcast of the Jordan Pope 3. Did you know that? Mm, I did. <laughs> Not as good as the Mike Parker call, but really close as Jordan Pope hit that three. 83-80 is your, uh, your final. Finally! Number five. I like that. Did you like that? I did. Yeah, that got, that got me in the right spot. Uh, all right, John, this last one, uh, I think it's good for the uh, the older generation that watched Michael Jordan play. Phil Jackson, his coach, he met with the Bulls management, Billy Donovan, staff, all the players, just over the weekend, just for fun, fielded some questions from the players. And uh, Bulls guard Kobe White, he asked Phil Jackson what the difference was between Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. And I thought Jackson had a really interesting quote. He, Jackson said, quote, because I know Kobe really tried to emulate Mike. The main thing he said was that Kobe didn't have a conscience and Michael Jordan did. Basically said if after the game Mike wasn't 50% from the field, he would kind of be disappointed where Kobe could go 7 for 25 and he really didn't care. Um, I thought that was a really interesting quote there. I'm not the biggest Kobe Bryant fan. I think he gets a little overrated, a little overblown yeah. by you know the whole Mamba stuff. 
Uh, his 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 field goal percentage was terrible in the fourth quarter in clutch right. clutch situations. I think he's overrated now, but um, it's it's crazy to even compare the two. But I thought it was very interesting that Jackson says that how Jordan was so efficient had to be fifty percent or he'd be mad. Where Kobe just didn't care. He wanted to get his shots up. Yeah, I, we do this. Look, we do this when people die, right? Like Marge Shot was a horrible human being. She was racist. She was a terrible owner. Owned the Cincinnati Reds. When she died, everybody was like, she's so great. She's wonderful. And people were like, what do you mean? Like, she made anti-Semitic remarks. She was just treated people poorly. Like, let's be real about the legacy of Kobe Bryant. It's complex. He was accused of sex assault. He settled the civil case on it. He, uh, you know, he wasn't uh, a, a, a perfect teammate. He, um, he had some warts and... There were a lot of people, I remember at the time when, you know, we just, I think it was the three-year anniversary that just passed. I can remember at the time, people uh, calling into the radio show going, well, hold on, let's not glorify this guy. He was, you know, he was a rapist. And and I think I think it's fair to kind of include everything in the Kobe Bryant picture. So um, it's nice to see from a basketball standpoint, somebody talking about him, you know, who has that insight into the inner sanctum that we all trust because I do think there's, you know, so much of what happens when people pass away. And, you know, we, we know why we do this. You know, we're trying to remember people. We're trying to honor people. And we often don't talk about, you know, the things they did that were questionable when we're doing those things. But I think it's fair three years later to talk about Kobe and say, hey, look, you know, it was a complex legacy that he left behind. And, and there's no way anybody who saw Michael Jordan knows that Michael Jordan was head and shoulders better player than Kobe, better player than LeBron, and it's no insult to those guys. It's next level. Jordan was just that much better. Yeah, I mean, you look at a guy, you know, Kobe White, the guy that asked the question, you, you just have to look at his age, right? Like, his Kobe Bryant, or his Michael Jordan was Kobe Bryant. He's 23 years old. Like So when he was growing up, he was watching Kobe, where when I'm growing up, I'm almost 37, like, I was watching MJ. So it's just one of those things where, like, Kobe was the guy that a lot of these players looked up to. Like you said, when Embiid scored that 70 points, it was on the anniversary of the death of Kobe, and he mentioned that. Like, that was the guy I looked up to wanting to play basketball. I wanted to be like Kobe Bryant. So I get it. Like, that's that's what it is. And then the legend has built ever since his death. But, yeah, I think if you just go back and you look at some of the stats, you go back and you watch, and you're very fair about it. Like, I don't think it's a bad thing to say, like, he was somewhat of an inefficient player, bad teammate to some, but uh, still he was a heck of a player, obviously Hall of Famer, all that kind of stuff. But, thought that quote was very interesting that Phil Jackson you know, would say that about Jordan and Kobe. And just, it does kind of define who the two were on the court because Jordan was just – he was a killer, man. He, he had to win at all costs where it felt like Kobe, he just wanted to kind of get some shots up sometimes. And I, I think, too, like we trust Phil Jackson. He was there for both of those things. Right. I mean, he's, and, he has such a unique yeah. perspective on that because he coached in, the, you know, in, in their prime of both those guys' careers. I just don't think it's even a comparison for people who really watched Michael Jordan in his prime. I just don't think it's even a comparison. And, oh, by the way, I called it after Embiid went nuts. What happened, Stephen? What happened with you know, you know everybody in the NBA suddenly? Uh, we'd have all these copycats in the NBA. It's such a WWE. League. I mean, Luca went for seventy three. Devin Booker went for you know sixty plus. I mean, you. I mean, you called that right on. I mean, it took two days, and then everyone was trying to get all these points. 
And it's funny, my wife even told me, she's like, hey, John was right about all these scores. You texted me about, like, I mean, you couldn't have been more right in that spot. It's a great call by you. Because it's it's such a copycat league, more so than I think any other sports league. It happens in the NBA that players and teams just copy each other, and it happens with load management. Like, you know, the first star player to go, I need load management, who gets away with it, you know, I had an NBA general manager at the time years ago when we first started started seeing players do load management. The first thing I saw was an NBA general manager who said to me, the worst thing about this is every GM is looking at his own roster going, you know, what is my star player going to do? Now the other team's star player is getting load management. My guy's going to want load management. It's a copycat league. The thing that confuses me is I'm not so sure if it's like – you know, do Devin Booker's teammates consciously say, hey, we just saw a great performance by a player, um, you know, Embiid, let's get our guy some points, and do they sort of start setting him up? Or is it the game itself where defensive players start sidestepping and, you know, not playing defense as hard because they know a guy's going for the points and, do, are they helping each other out, Stephen? What's is it WWE? What is happening? Well, I mean, speaking of Kobe in his final game when he scored all those points, there was a lot of the uh, the old Ole defense by the Utah Jazz of hey, let's just let Kobe see how many he can get this one. But I think in, in the Devin Booker situation, it's one of those things. I, the Mavs are trying, but they also lost the game by a bunch. And I think the, the Suns kind of just look for the ball. I think it is a WWE situation where players will seek out the hot hand, and I think they understand like. It is about legacy now, and it's about who has the big night of the day and who wins Twitter for the night. And so I do think that guys are very unselfish in that way where they try to get each other the ball. If one guy is cooking, like Luca when he goes for 73. Carl and, Anthony Towns. Carl Anthony like, Towns, yeah, same yeah. thing. Yeah, he had 60-plus and a loss. Like, that's, I mean, Luca gets the ball every single play, and then he decides what he wants to do with it. So I think it's a little bit of that where guys will give you the ball every single play. I, uh, I uh, just was not surprised to see that and see – you know, that it wasn't just going to be one player having a great 70-point night. You know, there were going to be copycats. It will continue. I, it's normally about a two-week thing with NBA teams. It's going to end and with Dame on Wednesday? Dame on Wednesday is going to go for 50, 60, who knows, against the Blazers and wave goodbye. I don't know. It, But it's just such a copycat thing. All right, Wayne Tinkle is coming up. He has had a remarkable week. Oregon State had lost five straight. And now they are on a two-game win streak. They're headed to L.A. next week. He's got the National Player of the Year. Wayne Tingle next. One timeout remaining. Pope into the front court. Beavers could win it with a hoop. Pope goes left. Jordan a step back three for the win. Yeah! He hit it, and the Beavers win. Well, if I had talked to Wayne Tinkle like a week ago, we would have had a very different interview. His team was coming off a really tough week, maybe some disappointment, some soul-searching. And and the last week, though, has been lights out, fantastic. Uh, you know, obviously the win on Thursday of last week against number 9 Arizona, Jordan Pope with the buzzer beater, and then uh, over the weekend completing the sweep of the Arizona school's big rebounding effort in the uh, Saturday win over Arizona State. Wayne Tinkle, how you feeling? Oh, I'm feeling good. Good to be with you, John. Give me an give me an idea. A week ago versus now, kind of the the you know as you're as you're waking up to go to work. Oh man, from uh, the outhouse to the penthouse. I mean, <laughs> we 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 weren't feeling too good coming off of that road trip. Really, just 
you know, not that we lost, but, uh, you know, especially Colorado, just disappointed in the lack of fight. And um, to the guy's credit, uh, we, we got after him pretty good in the locker room, and, and it was a quiet plane ride home. But the guys came in on Monday ready to go, didn't need any encouragement. I had a couple of brief one-on-ones with a couple of guys uh, at the airport coming home, but um, they rallied, and it really stemmed from Tyler, uh, Bilodeau, Mike Retai, and Jordan Pope circling up and saying, you know, we've got to rally this team. We've got to become leaders. Coach has been asking us for a while. Um, and to their credit, um, we, we had great practices, which led to, uh, you know, the performances we had on the court. And we've been practicing well, but the translation from practice to game for 40 minutes is what we were missing. The game against Arizona, you know, look, it's the ninth-ranked team in the country at the time, and and a bunch of heralded recruits and, you know, guys that were that have a lot of hype and a lot of uh, – a lot of followers on those social media accounts, but I, you guys outplayed them. It wasn't like you got a lucky bounce. It wasn't like yeah. you caught them on an off day. You flat outplayed them, and that surprised people. But did it surprise you at all, or are you just watching the potential that you knew that was there all along sort of blossom? No, you're exactly right. We 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 saw that UCLA, who's playing much better, by the way, you know, played them very very tightly at McHale you know, last week. And so we told our guys, listen, you know, this is a team that if we come and do these things, these three simple things, which we'll talk about a little later, you know, we'll give ourselves a chance. What I love, John, is they, they got up they got up 11 in the first half, 12 at the start of the second half, but our guys didn't relent. They didn't, they, you know, they didn't give up. They battled back, showed some great resiliency. And, and then we went up nine. So that's quite a turnaround. The cool thing, and I, I don't—I mean, it's not good for my health—but they made they made that late run to tie it, and you know, guys could have said, "Well, we gave it a hell of an effort," you know, let's move on. But to find a way to pull that one out was was just a big shot in the arm, and and then to validate it—that's always like the guys celebrated and had some fun in the locker room, and we needed to allow them to do that. But then we quickly said, "Okay, this doesn't mean anything if we don't follow it up on Saturday," and the bounce back. With the effort Saturday, I thought was equally as impressive. What are those three things? You sit down, you you know, you keep it simple. You make it about three yep. things. What were they? We, we said we, we've got to execute our plan. Okay, we coaches work hard in their scouting reports and and what we look need to do offensively and defensively. Um, bring the fight. Like that's that's one thing that you know, we've gotten better in league. You know, other than that road trip, I thought we had some really good moments. We showed flashes of what we're capable of in all the other league games. Um, and, and then the last one was to really share, to share it. And, and we, we've explained to our guys how you can share on the defensive end as much as the offensive end. And where we struggled is when the ball sticks, we want to go one-on-one, we put our head down, we, we miss open guys. It just eats at your chemistry, especially when you're as young as we are. And the frustration carries to the defensive end. And we've been harping on it for a while, and we made a couple of tweaks going into Arizona with our high-post offense that really simplified things, and our guys executed it. So, John, we start, we start getting shots out of our offense and shots that we get out of all the drills we do in practice. What happens? You make a couple because you're replicating what you do every day. The confidence grows. Now when it's time to make some individual plays, you know, basketball's not all X's and O's. You know, you've got to let your guys make some plays in space. 
then 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 they're in it. They're you know they're in a position where they feel like they're world beaters. And you know Pope made some great shots one on one. Tyler Billado hit some timely ones. Um, but the rest of them are are largely coming out of the offense, which you know it really can help build your confidence. And um, that's that's what I saw over the weekend. And now. You know, we've got a tough road trip ahead, and we've got to try to keep the momentum going. Yeah, I saw Jordan Pope, not only the Pac-12 Player of the Week, but he's also the National Player of the Week. That That is excellent for your program. I talked to him on Friday about, you know, his decision to come back. He was not, you know, I think he was a little overlooked. He was at prolific prep, for people who don't know. He had a couple of NBA players that ended up in the NBA on that roster and that team. He flew under the radar a little bit. I see a little bit of Steph Curry in his game. He's very talented, you know, and people were afraid of his lack of size. Um, but we, we really spent a lot of time getting to know the kid, and, and we knew he was our kind of kid before anything else. Huge heart. Um, obviously, he's got a lot, of, a lot of moxie and gumption to him, uh, you know, when that spotlight's on him to make, to make plays. And there's been some games like he was disappointed because he felt like he laid an egg uh, on the mountain trip. Um, and instead of sulking, as a young kid might do, he came back to work on Monday and he led his team. And that, that's the biggest thing uh, that we've we've really coached him hard on his body language and his leadership to the rest of that young group. And you know, a year ago, if a guy dropped one of his passes, he's putting his hands in the air. You know, he doesn't get a call even earlier this year, putting his hands in the air to the ref. And we've really coached him hard on that. And to his credit. Man, he's been the last, you know, six weeks, he's come a long way. And we, we had a final discussion where I said, hey, it's not just, you know, you looking like you have negative body language, but you're, you're, you're trying to get your teammates who are really young and inexperienced to play at a higher level. The positive kind of reactions and feed, feedback and encouragement are going to go a long ways to that end. And, man, he's, he's bought in just because he, he wants to win. He loves Oregon State. He knows we're in the middle of a rebuild, and he wants to be a big part of that. And uh, he's he's really stepped up along those lines. Yeah, you guys are still very young, and you know I look back to last year. I got to be honest with you, I was surprised that Pope came back because I thought there's going to be some NIL money out there. People are going to chase him hard. He said on Friday, like sure he got a he got a little better deal uh, from you guys, but he, loyalty was a part of it. Yeah. it. It was important to him he, that you guys were the only ones that really recruited him. That, that was a big part of our discussion um, in the spring. And, and the first words out of his mouth were, Coach, I hate having to talk about this. And, and you know, agents, other schools were trying to poach him because he never did go in the portal. And, you know, I, I made it pretty simple. I said, Jordan, did we ever mention money in our recruiting process? He said, no. And I said, so you had, you had, a, you had a good freshman year on a, on a team starting to rebuild that, you know, finish towards at the bottom of the league. Um, we're going to take care of you moving forward because of the year you had, but, you know, we can't let money come into the discussion, like, for what you just did. Now, you, we, we have it on our wall. You earn what you get. Moving forward, you know, we'll take care of you. And I said, but if you try to chase the money, you know, you, you might. a lot of guys are missing out on why they originally went to the school they did, you know, being around great people, being developed, loving who you're playing in front of and alongside and he, you know, he he agreed to that. I mean, he loves his teammates. He loves Corvallis, and then that's our job now that he's really stepped up to to his end. That we got to make sure we take care of him and and the, and the other guys that that are doing that 
um, so that we can retain that core group that we want to continue to build with. I'm looking across the conference, and I think the conference tournament's going to be wild because Washington State, Kyle Smith's got them playing well. Uh, Oregon, they're they're talented when they're healthy. Um, Arizona, obviously, has got guys. You know, Bobby Hurley will show up to play. You guys are capable of beating anybody. Utah, Colorado. I, I mean, people are asking me, who would you pick in the conference championship? And I'm going, you, you can make an argument for like five, six teams. What do you see happening in the conference? No. Yeah, no, I think there's a lot of, a lot of really good teams. Um, you know, even Cal, who's, who's won some games here of late, you know, they, they start three fifth-year kids because they were able to get active, uh, get their collective going and get some kids out of the portal. Uh, you're seeing it. Anybody can beat anybody on any given night, you know, and I'm glad we have that. The t- you know, what we all agree is the toughest road trip in conference, um, especially with Utah and Colorado being, being you know, good this year. But uh, I think it's going to be a shootout. I even, I even, you know, it used to be, well, if you're playing on the first night, you've got no chance, even though, um, you know, there's been some, some teams do that um, and, and win four in a row. Somebody gets hot at the right time, man. It's 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 going to be an exciting, thrilling tournament. And you know, obviously, you know, we have a lot to shake out here down the stretch. But it, it'd be great if we're getting into March and there's, you know, five maybe six teams that are being talked about getting in. And, and then if there's a surprise uh, winner like like we did a couple of few years ago, you know, now you're talking about maybe getting six seven teams. And I just think it's it's great for the conference and. Um, bodes well for us in Washington State moving forward, to be quite honest. Wayne Tinkle with us, Oregon State men's basketball coach. Big 2-0 and week, sweep over the Arizona schools last week. Jordan Pope is the national player of the week. Um, you've got the L.A. schools this week. Now, you know, people will look at them and say they're down, but UCLA seems to have figured something out. What do you see on film with UCLA now that maybe they didn't figure out, you know, a couple, three, four weeks ago? They looked pretty, they looked a little shaky. Yeah, well, the, the big thing is, you know, they have they have a lot of young guys, a lot of new guys like ourselves. The, the the Bona kid has really matured. He's he's not turning the ball over and fouling as much as he was early on. Shoot, he averages over two assists a game. Um, uh, the, the transfer uh, from from Utah has really stepped up. Shot it. They weren't shooting the ball very well until our game. They were only averaging four threes a game. They hit nine against us. Um, and, and then I think Sebastian Mack is starting to understand he's got to play with a little better pace and, and under control. Um, and, and then the, as a team, they're shooting it better. Defensively, they've always been pretty tough. They had a hard time scoring, and they, they've answered that a little bit. You know, I think they've won four out of five and had Arizona on the ropes. Uh, Mikhail, like I said, last week. So uh, playing much, much better. Um, yeah, texted a little bit with Mick over the weekend congratulating each other on the wins and uh we know that they they feel like they got away with one up here and, and he'll have them ready for us for sure on thursday night but our guys have got to roll down there that stood toe-to-toe with them here um you know we're coming with some great great momentum off this past weekend and that we owe them a little bit something a little something quite frankly and um you know we should be ready to go and, and go in there and, you know kind of throw caution to the wind man and and play together execute our plan and 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 bring the fight, and we'll give ourselves a chance, just like we proved this past weekend. You got eleven games left on the conference schedule and the conference tournament. We're talking to Wayne Tinkle, Oregon State men's coach. Um, all right, so when I was on the phone with Jordan Pope doing our interview, you know, you could hear students in the background congratulating him and saying, "Hey, nice game." And it, of course, he was coming off the game winner. But 
How does that feel to you? Uh, you know, a day like today versus a week ago, when you know you were coming, you know, kind of licking your wounds coming off the that mountain trip. You know, you walk across campus today. I'm sure you're getting fist bumps in in the in the athletic building. No, for sure, it's great, and that's you know that's what Oregon State's all about. Even like. Well, yeah, I got off the court pretty quickly to let the guys celebrate after the Arizona win, but seeing so many different student-athletes from different sports um, rushing the court and, and then, you know, people sending me video clips that they were all taking of the last shot, uh, that's that's what we're all about, you know, and, and we we all go – we support each other. And, you know, our guys were at the women's games both nights, and what a weekend they had, so – it's it's really neat to see, and uh, it's tough. Hey, when you when you're through the rebuild like we are, and um, you know there were there was you know there was cause for some criticism, but we just have remained steadfast, and we've got a young group. We know that we've we've really run into some struggles. It's not the team you and I talked two weeks ago, John, about yeah. seeing a difference in this team, um, even versus last year, and obviously from two years ago. Um, it needs some time, and and you know we got whacked across the forehead. It woke our guys up. It brought a new sense of urgency. I'm not saying that we've got all the answers right now. We we still have some areas we can improve, especially defensively. But we've trusted that these struggles these young guys are going through are going to get us where we need to, to be. We had the right pieces. You know, this offseason, we're going to be back to where we're expected to be. And uh, just excited for all of that enthusiasm and energy. The crowds have been awesome the last couple of games. And we've got to do our part, keep battling, finding success as we continue to build. Yeah, and I, it's funny because I go back, and I'll, I'll just be honest with you, like two years ago, I did not like watching your team play because I, I didn't, I, I don't mean this like personally, but I didn't like the team. I like this team. I like the way these guys play. And when you guys are playing Arizona, I'm like, you know, I think people in our state can be proud of it. And, and you mentioned the women's team. I don't know what's going on at Gill Coliseum, but it was like, Knockout, 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 knockout. I mean, it was it was amazing that kind of energy and how you guys the programs fed off each other. No, it was really it was really neat. You know that you said it. You know they they fed off us maybe a little bit on Friday. We fed off what they did in there um, Friday night, and uh, it was just great great to see um, Gil that electric for for both programs. And uh, you know, obviously they've got they still have a pretty pretty young team as well and they're they're rolling right now so uh, it's great to build off of one another for sure uh to have beaver nation fired up and 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 really believe in in the momentum of all of the programs in our department and it's kind of like you know what we've been we've been crapped on a little bit with all the stuff going on with the conference realignment and you know let's rally behind each other knowing that that's what the fiber of oregon state is you got great people working their tails off for each other and supporting you each other it's going to lead to good things and uh, i'm just uh i'm thrilled with the momentum we've created and obviously we've got to keep it going forward but there's there's big days ahead for us we know that we love the guys that we've brought in um, i think we can talk till we're blue in the face about what happened two years ago coming out of covid but we've learned some valuable lessons and here's the main thing we have we've dug our, our feet in the sand and we haven't cut corners to rebuild this thing we've got great support from the administration and when we have all those things and we've got our kinds of guys here in the program, we've proven that we, we can do some incredible things, things that we haven't ever done before. So uh, we just need to stay focused to that and keep building off the support. You know, the support we had so many people when we first got here step up. You know, Charlie Sitton rallied a lot of the former players and 
even even people that weren't Oregon State Beavers that are friends of his contribute to get the momentum going. And yeah, we hit the skids, but but now we're in the middle of rebuilding this thing, and um, we're just uh, we're, we're so thankful for the support and the help. And and we like I said, we just got to keep it moving forward. Congratulations, huge week. Um, I got to know who you like in the Super Bowl. You got Niners or Chiefs? Oh man, I was so uh, you know my dad's a Detroit guy. I was so <laughs> pulling for them, uh, and even though we're on the West Coast, but um, got got to go with the Forty Niners. Yeah, um, it, it's hard to bet against the Chiefs and Mahomes and that crew and Andy Reid, but I'm going to pull for the Niners because of where we're located, and I think that's a pretty cool, cool story. Uh, what the party kid has been doing. Oh, yeah. Amen to that. All right, Wayne Tinkle, thank you, man. I appreciate you. Uh, congrats. Thanks. It's always good to be with you, man. Appreciate uh, everything, and uh, let's get this thing going on the road. Go Beefs. There's Wayne Tinkle, Oregon State. A couple years ago, I'm not going to lie, I watched his team play, and I was like, gosh, I, I, I suspect even Wayne Tinkle didn't like his team. You know? Uh, and frankly, i got to be honest with you, this team – even when they were on a five-game losing streak, in and around there, they mostly played hard. I'm not shocked that they had a good week. I am shocked that they beat Arizona and Arizona State. That was um, that sit forward in your chair, pay attention to what they do this week uh, kind of thinking. And uh, great result. Oregon State as a whole, the men's and women's programs, 4-0 last week. The Grand Slam. Two sweeps, three ranked teams they knocked off. Something in the water? The weather? Is it Gill Coliseum? You tell me. All right, more ahead on the BFT. Leave it here. Well, I like I said off the top of the show today, I have to detach myself just a little bit from being a journalist when I'm watching the 49ers play and allow myself to be a sports fan. I have to take a mental departure from uh, trying to be objective, trying to see what the story is here. But I can tell you, as I watched the game unfold, I thought about, like, you know, what the criticisms of my team would be. Like, the 49ers just did not play a very good defensive first half. And, in fact, you know, the Lions just shredded them, especially running the football. I was a little bit surprised but not shocked because the Niners had, I thought, struggled in the last five, six games of the season defensively a little bit. They're not the same team that they were early in the year and certainly not the same team that they were a year ago. But I'll say this, you know, there's something about experience, having been there before, having sniffed around a championship that matters in a moment like that. And very limited experience outside of, you know, Jared Goff and maybe two other Lions players who had been to an NFC title game. They didn't have very much experience on that stage. And I thought, a pretty young team showed itself, and a coach that was, is probably learning a little bit himself, Dan Campbell, probably doing the same thing Dan Lanning was doing after the Washington game, the first Washington game this last football season. The Oregon coach uh, went for it on fourth down three times, didn't get it. Like It's one thing to go for it on fourth down throughout the season, especially when you're in games against inferior competition. But it's another thing to go for it against a team that is going to be eventually in the national championship game or eventually in the Super Bowl. That's a different animal. It's a different equation, and your fourth down percentage doesn't hold up there. I still believe and I still think that there's something to be said, though, about staying true to who you are as a coach, what your brand is, 
what the culture of the program is. And certainly Dan Campbell can make that argument in, you know, the post-game news conference as he says, you know, he doesn't have regrets and throw caution to the wind, all that stuff. Like, it's evident he believes deeply in his players. He, you know, he trusts them and he wants them to know that he trusts them. But I kept thinking about the kicker when he was going for it on fourth down. And I kept thinking about the words of Don Shula, take the points, especially in the playoffs. You're in a playoff game. Those points matter. And as a Niner fan, I'll be honest with you, when he had a chance to kick a field goal in the second half and he went for it on fourth down, I was like, oh, here's an opportunity for a turnover. I mean, you're essentially making it a, you know, a 40% proposition that you're going to convert. And, you know, I think if he kicks a field goal in that situation, certainly in the second half, it would have put a lot of pressure on the Niners down three scores. But uh, Dan Campbell opting to go for it. And, yes, you can point to the mistakes that were made on the field, drop passes, missed tackles, a weird 50-yard completion to Brandon Ayuk. Um, you know, as a Niner fan, I can still be objective. I mean, Detroit did a lot wrong in that second half. Fumble. Um, but I ultimately come back to the head coach. And when you have three points in front of you, don't be afraid to take it. Yes, I get it. He doesn't have Justin Tucker as a kicker, but guess what? 31 NFL teams don't have Justin Tucker as a kicker either. The Niners missed a field goal in the game as well. That stuff's going to happen. But I think, uh, you know, if Dan Campbell could go back, does he take one of those field goals? Absolutely. He kicks at least one of those field goals. And then game management at the end, I heard a lot of people quibbling about, you know, should he have just kicked the field goal the minute he's in field goal range, you know, late in the game. I'm always a fan of trying to see if you could score the touchdown. If you need 10 points, touchdown is the harder thing to get. I want to get the touchdown first and then go for the goal. And particularly when it ended up with a first and goal situation, it looked like Detroit was going to have an opportunity to put some real pressure on the 49ers. And, you know, when it comes down to a onside kick, I guess, um, you know, you don't feel great about your chances there. But I think we're going to get a good Super Bowl. I think it's going to be really entertaining. Of course, the Taylor Swift Palooza is going to take over the hysteria of that if she's not already been on the phone with usher i don't know what's wrong with her but um you know people pointing out that she could be in japan performing her concert jump on a flight right after the concert fly the 12 hours back to the u.s get to vegas in time to be like a day early for the super bowl so there's going to be plenty of opportunity there on her tour for her to get to vegas and then i heard people somebody in my mailbag i do a monday mailbag at johnconzano.com it's one of my favorite things to do but somebody in the mailbag pointed out, like, you know, do you think the NFL is rooting for the Kansas City Chiefs in this game? No, the NFL already won. Taylor Swift's already going to be at the Super Bowl. The NFL's a winner already, so there's no added bonus here for Roger Goodell's league and the TV partner CBS. There's no added bonus here if, you know, Taylor Swift is up in the you know box if they win or lose. There's, there's, it's of no consequence at all, in fact. They've got it already. The NFL has won. It got the Kansas City Chiefs and Taylor Swift, more importantly, in the Super Bowl. And you got the San Francisco Bay Area market uh, showing up, and you have some good storylines here. There's a revenge factor for the 49ers. There's certainly a Kyle Shanahan story. Can he finally, so to speak, get the monkey off his back and win one of these Super Bowls? He was the coordinator as the Falcons blew that 28-3 to lead for the, uh, to, the, to the Patriots in the Super Bowl. And he's been there before. I don't love... His game planning and his in-game adjustments in big games, but there is no denying that you know the NFC Championship game was a comeback of of huge proportions 
And the 49ers deserve a lot of credit for that. But I, I still don't think they've played well for more than about a quarter in any one of these playoff games that they've been involved in. And so now they get two weeks off, maybe they get Debo healthy and uh, get an opportunity to go to the Super Bowl and get some revenge on Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. Tell me who you're picking at John Canzano BFT on Twitter. Give me your picks or forever hold your peace. I don't want you coming in like two, three weeks from now and giving me your picks. Uh, I, I knew they were going to win. I knew they were going to do this. No, no. Give me your pick now in the run-up to the Super Bowl. I want to know where you stand on this. Make sure you're reading me at johnconzano.com. Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast if you are listening to the podcast. And if you're listening to this radio show live, you can always grab the podcast. Especially if you hear something you really like, you hear an interview you like, you hear a segment you like, you want to share it with other people, make sure that you are uh, subscribed to the Bald Face Truth Radio podcast. It's very easy. It's free. Do it, and uh, you'll never uh, you'll never miss a thing. We're back tomorrow with another great show. The Bald Face Truth is not here for a long time, just a good time.